Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, now, I have over the years grown quite fond of the saints in Philippi, uh, the Philippian saints. Every now and then you'll hear us reference uh, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches, the, war the, the warning, there's uh, uh, warnings to five churches, and in all of those, in se there's seven churches, but five churches, the Lord says to repent, 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 repent. There's only two churches which are on point where the formula is beautiful, and that is Philadelphia and Smyrna. Philadelphia and Smyrna. And when I think about those two churches, the saints in those fellowships, I think of the saints in Philippi. A model church, if you will. Now, it used to be where I used to consider like a, a Philippians as like a third Corinthians, but I don't do that, do that anymore. I, I see, if you've been walking with, with us for a while, you've seen the uh, the order that the, 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 the Lord has captured the canon of Scripture in terms of maturing in Christ. And you see, you know, we have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And then when we look at Galatians, you know, uh, uh, doctrinal immaturity, uh, 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 saints that wanted to be saved by the law and through the works of the law. And so Paul says, you know, the... the, the, the Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And so now you see the doctrinal error in, in Galatians. And then you get into Ephesians, and here we are in Philippians. But I see Galatians as a quasi-third Corinthians now. Ephesians as a quasi-fourth Corinthians. And Philippians as a quasi-fifth Corinthians. Now, not to uh, 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 add anything to Scripture that would cause anyone to fall, but in terms of maturing in Christ, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you see Galatians as 3 Corinthians, Ephesians as 4 Corinthians, Philippians as 5 Corinthians. Now, it, it's to see that order of maturity in Christ, and then when you get to Philippians or the quasi-5th Corinthians, you see something totally different. You don't see Paul saying, remember in, 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 turn really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. No, no, remember, he's speaking to saints. This letter to 1 Corinthians, it's to saints, it's to Christians, it's not to those in the world. It's, some of the saints have been influenced by the world. And then you see how the Lord cleans house in 1 Corinthians 5. If you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to our studies through 1 and 2 Corinthians. It will help you grow and mature in Christ. And Paul is speaking to Christians. And he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. You say, wait a second. I thought they were spiritual. They're Christians. Now you see the effects, the, the impact of the flesh, the impact of the carnal nature to the Christian. It's dangerous. And Paul says, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people. Have you ever encountered a situation where you're among Christians, but yet you cannot discuss the depths of the faith with some of them? Maybe a majority, maybe even all of them. 
And it's not that you get on a high horse and be like, wow, look how spiritual I am. No, it's you're, you're on the lowest horse. You're not even on the horse. You're in the, you're in the humility of heart. But there's an element of sorrow behind that because it's like, man, they're still babies. I mean, put yourself in Paul's shoes. You know, I can't speak to you. You know, I I wanna I wanna pour into you, I wanna share this with you, but I can't. Why? Paul says, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to carnal, as to babes in Christ. In verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, he says. You are still carnal. And that's the danger behind the flesh. The flesh, my flesh, your flesh, it's all of our battles. The question is, who is reckoning the old man dead? Who is reckoning the old woman dead? And put, laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us and being crucified with Christ. That's a different ballgame altogether. You see? And it's so powerful because... Paul's saying, you know, you figure, okay, they're Christians, so they're spiritual. But no, Paul says, no. No, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people. I have to speak to you like your babies in Christ, like your like your fresh believers in Christ. And remember, the time period from the founding of the church in Corinth between 1 Corinthians is three years. So there's three years of arrested development. And then you get, that's the saints in Corinth. And then you get first the, the entirety of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and before we get into Second Corinthians, don't forget that there was the separation. Those who are carnal, okay, now separate from them. The works of the flesh, those who have have an overabundance of the works of the flesh, as evidenced in the fruit, which is the sex, the alcohol, the uh, extortion, all kinds of works of the flesh. Listen to our study from First Corinthians chapter five, and you'll understand. And so Paul says, okay, identify these people and separate from them. Don't even eat with them because it's leaven. Leaven and a little leaven. Not just a lot of leaven, a little leaven leavens the bunch. He doesn't say, you know, it's a lot of leaven that leavens the bunch. He says, a little leaven leavens the bunch. And then we get into the rest of 1 Corinthians and you see, correct. remember Paul says, do I praise you in this? Nope. Do I praise you in that? Nope. So it's not that the remnant was like, you know, hardcore and good to go. No, they were a remnant, but there was still some cleaning that had to happen. Little chastisement, little tap, tap. And then we get into 2 Corinthians, a little introduction into spiritual warfare, how Satan presents himself as an angel of light. And how Satan has his servants that he uses. And Paul says, you might even, you might well put up with it. I fear for you, he says, because you might put well put up with it. These servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. And you might well put up with it. So you have a remnant of Corinth and now you think, okay, they're good to go. But the threat is always there. Satan who roams around like a lion waiting for for whom he may devour. And then we fast forward to Galatians. 
Just like Paul says to the saints in Corinthians, you might well put up with it. The saints in, in, in Galatia were putting up with it. What were they putting up with? The, the, the servants of Satan. The servants of Satan who were bringing saints into the law. The law. And remember our study in Romans. In the law is found death. If righteousness can come to the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. And Paul says in Galatians, in uh, uh, turn really quick to in uh, Galatians chapter four, and in Galatians four, Paul says in verse sixteen, "Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth?" I tell you the truth and now I'm the bad guy. I tell you the truth and now you hate me. I tell you the truth and now you consider me an enemy. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatian saints. Oh, Paul, don't come at with, don't come at us with that. Look, we're, we're obeying the writings of Moses. Look, we want to be justified by the law and what Moses wrote. Look, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Paul says, do you not hear the law? very important to understand these passages of scripture and then we just finished our study in ephesians further understanding of spiritual warfare now the ephesian saints are you know also a model church the saints in ephesus but philippi is a little different the philippian saints are a little different i mean if you're of the ephesian type Praise be to the Lord. But if you're of the Philippian type, still praise be to the Lord, but it's a little different. The model church, the Philippian saints. And it's powerful when we understand this maturing in Christ. The the beauty of obedience unto our Lord, Son of the Most High. Who is coming again. And so we start our study in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy. Bond servants of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Now you're going to see something different here too. In the life of Timothy. Little Timmy. You're going to start to see, and before we've seen uh, 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 Timothy in, in our previous studies, and we've seen Timothy, we know that he's been in, in Paul's bubble, so to speak, and how he, he's been used for in certain capacities in, in, for the uh, furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you're going to see something a little different, how Paul makes mention of Timothy. And in a short period of time, Timothy's going to start his pastoral ministry as an overseer in the church. You see, Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, so to speak. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Where in you know prior books, Paul would refer to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now Paul's not alone. Paul has... Little Timmy. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints, to all the saints, Hagios. Hagios, which is the consecrated, set apart. 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. How it translates, with the overseers and the teachers. Very interesting what we see here in verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, with the overseers and the teachers. And this is the only letter that includes, this is the only letter of Paul that includes overseers. Do you remember our study in 1 Corinthians? How we would reference the pastors and the elders and ask a question, where in the world are they? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? And then we see the defunct class among the overseers. Because, you know, in one sense, we can look at 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when the separation happens to identify the leaven. Why in the world was there leaven there? Were the pastors not pastoring? Were the elders not eldering? In obedience to the Lord? Where were they? Why did it have to get to that point? Remember, you'd you'd hear me mention that I have a a love-hate relationship with 1 Corinthians and no disrespect to the Lord nor to the saints of our Lord. But I have a love-hate relationship with 1 Corinthians. Because it's like, wow, you know, I love that there's a remnant. I love that there's saints. I love there's the remnant. I love the doctrine that we learn. I love this, uh, uh, this, uh, the furtherance of the gifting of the Holy Spirit in knowledge. But the works of the flesh, it's like, ugh, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Why did it have to get to that point? So you figure for three years, remember the, the church founded, and when we looked at this, our study in the book of Acts, the church is founded, and then you count year number one, year number two, year number three, and then 1 Corinthians is written, and Paul says, okay, separate from the leaven. But for three years, what was happening for that three years? Was there no training? Was there no equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry? Or was it just a social club? Was church just a social club? Gather together, eat, drink, be merry. And Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, you know what? In 1 Corinthians, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. You figure, oh, we're saints. Look, we're spiritual people. Look, we're going to gather together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And everything is fine. Paul says, nope, not everything is fine. You think you're spiritual, but you're not spiritual because you're still carnal. And only that, you're rejoicing. It is not a good thing. Why? Because of the flesh. Because of the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. See? The carnal nature. Why did, for that three years, what was happening? Was teaching even happening? Now, in that three years, you could look at the house of Chloe and those in her household and those in her home fellowship. Beautiful. Training and equipping was happening there, for sure, absolutely, 100%. But that's the household of Chloe. Not that that's a bad thing, that's a beautiful thing, but what about the church? What about the actual building? If it was a building... 
could have been multiple home fellowships, a gathering. What, what about the majority? What about the place that was designated for fellowship? Okay, we're going to meet here. We're going to meet in this big room. We're going to meet over here. And this is where our fellowship is. And this is our church. It might have not had like, you know, in today's day, we have, you know, crosses on buildings, big signs that say, you know, Christianity, big signs that say church, big signs that say truth and all these different things. But then you look at Chloe's house and you're like, whoa, there's training and equipping happening there. I don't want to study at Chloe's house. What was happening for that three years? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? And if you remember our study through 1 Corinthians, you have this understanding of defunctness among the pastors, among the elders. And you don't see Paul saying, you know, this letter is to the saints and to the teachers. This letter is to the saints and to the pastors. This letter is to the saints and to the overseers. You don't see that in 1 Corinthians. You don't see that in Ephesians. You don't see that in Galatians. But where do you see it? Philippians. You see it in Philippians. Remember, Philippians is like... Ephesians is a, a, you know, they're all beautiful, beautiful saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's something wrong in Corinth. There's something wrong in Galatia. Ephesians, better. Philippians, beautiful, 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 beautiful. Now, You have to be honest with yourself. I'm going to challenge you. Remember our study in Leviticus, how, you know, there was this challenge that we presented and it was to start thinking of your life as an aroma. And what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? Do you want to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord or you want to be stinky unto the Lord? Stinky, not good. But a sweet aroma to the Lord. Start thinking of your life in that manner. I mean, hopefully if you've been walking with us for a while, you've already been doing that. But maybe you've forgotten. Start all over, do it again. And this new challenge, you have to be 100% completely honest with yourself. You must be honest with yourself. Where are you in terms of growth and maturity in Christ? Where are you? Start thinking of uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians as grades in school. And what grade are you in? The majority, and I don't mean to offend anybody, even people being offended, that's one of the signs of the last days. Many will be offended and will betray one another. It's one of the signs of the last days. It's very interesting how in these days that we live in, we have the largest concentration of what is referred to as the snowflake generation. For such a time as this, signs of the times. But I speak to the living. I speak to the remnant. What grade are you in? Because where there is In overabundance of carnality, you might be in a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 bunch. And that 
is where there is a lot of danger. If you're among the first Corinthians chapter three bunch. Now, if you're in the first Corinthians chapter three bunch, something needs to happen. Why is it that you're there? Why is it that you're in the first Corinthians chapter three bunch? Oh, but I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. You do well. But this I have against you. You have not reckoned the old man dead. You have not reckoned the old woman dead. And I say this because I love you. Put aside those things which so easily ensnare you and let us together move on to perfection. Move towards Philippians. You see? You say, okay, I don't have any problems with the flesh. I'm of the Galatian type. I'm in... Uh, third grade, remember first grade is first Corinthians, second grade is second Corinthians, third grade is Galatians. I'm in third grade. Look, I studied the Bible. Look, I do this. I believe in Jesus Christ and all these things and I'm obedient to his word and I study Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and I'm obedient to that. I observe the Sabbaths, the feasts, the, the festivals. I believe in Jesus Christ. You do well. But this I have against you. If righteousness comes to the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Lay aside the law. Whoa, that's... That's a little different. What do you mean, lay aside the law? Lay aside the law and hear the law. Abide in Christ. If you abide in the law, you are outside of Christ. Listen to our study through Galatians. Oh, but I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not a 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not a Galatians type. I'm the Ephesian type. Praise be to the Lord. And I rejoice. We rejoice. In whatever camp you're in, we rejoice. But if you're in first grade, desire to move on to second grade. If you're in second grade, desire to move on to third. If you're in third, desire to move on to fourth. If you're in fourth, desire to move into fifth. You see? Maturing. Growth. Now you see in verse 1, to all the saints in Christ, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, this word with, you know, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, comma, no period, with the bishops and the deacons, with the overseers and the, and the teachers, with the pastors and teachers. This word with isn't the common word with, which is E-N, N in the Greek. It is soon in the Greek. S-U-N, soon in the Greek, where we get the word episunagage, which is union, close union, closeness beyond average, togetherness, companionship, completeness. Now you see something different. Paul doesn't say, 
to the saints in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or when he opens up his letter to the saints in Corinth, Paul doesn't say, you know, to the saints who are with the bishops and deacons, with the overseers and teachers who are with the pastors and, and, and teachers, who are not n soon, soon in union, closeness, togetherness, companionship, completeness, but he says it to the saints in Philippi. What does that mean for us today? It's not just the title of pastor. It's not just the title of teacher. Anybody can do that. Get, you know, get a piece of tape, write pastor on there and stick it on your chest. Anybody can do it. Get a piece of tape, write teacher on there and stick it on your chest. Anybody can do that. That's carnal. But it is much deeper. If you remember our study through 1 Corinthians, how many times did you hear us say, where were the pastors? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where are the teachers? In Galatia, where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where are the teachers? Who is there who would shut the doors? Do you remember? Paul doesn't say, you know, of this defunct class among the overseers, among the pastors and elders. Now, Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Pastors and teachers are held to a higher account, a higher standard. Brother James says, let not many be teachers. There's a reason why he says that. And yet we see here to the saints in Philippi, to all the saints who are not just with, like, okay, let's just, you know, throw them all in a bunch and, you know, like, you know, like a sandwich, you know, peanut butter and jelly. It's like, okay, got pieces of bread with peanut butter with uh, jelly or, you know, bologna with mayonnaise with lettuce or, you know, ham with Swiss. It's not, it, that's surface stuff. These are the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi soon, soon with. It's much deeper than what the carnal eye can see. Remember, it's where we get the word episunagage. A close intimacy. Closeness, togetherness, companionship, completeness. We just studied this last week when we referred to, when we referenced uh, uh, Hebrews 10. The gathering of the saints together, it's different. It's not just, okay, let's, let's meet and gather and have our social club. No, the, this is, this is different. Let's meet, let's gather, let's have our social club. Let's, you know, sing praises unto the Lord, the, you know, hallelujahs and not worry about the works of the flesh. And let's not even mention the flesh. That's a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type. Babies. Paul says, don't be the teachers of that. Don't have the intimacy with them. Don't have the closeness with them. Because look at the fruit, look at what it's cost. Look at look at the look at the 
toll it has taken on the church in Corinth. Oh, but he's a nice guy. Look, he tells these jokes. And look, he's like this. And oh, I like the way he dresses. Oh, I like the way he does his hair. Oh, I like the way he speaks. He's so eloquent. That's surface stuff. Much deeper. Anybody can put a piece of tape on their chest who says right pastor on it, stick it on their chest and okay, I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor. But is such a person really a pastor? Or is such a person disqualified? Do they disqualify themselves? Closeness and proximity and intimacy with that is very dangerous. As evidenced in 1 Corinthians, as evidenced in Galatians. You see? But when the formula is right, when the formula is right, that's special. That's holy. It is profoundly special. That's exactly like what we studied last week in when we referenced Hebrews 10, the episunagage. And when the formula is right, it's powerful. Beautiful fruit. And so, we see that in verse 1. You see the maturing of Timothy, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, no period, with soon, soon. That's in closeness, in intimacy, in union, in togetherness, in companionship, in completeness with the bishops and deacons. With those bishops, with those overseers, with those pastors, with those deacons, with those teachers, it is safe. Because they teach. They pour into. They guide. They protect. With these teachers in Philippi, it is safe. With these pastors in Philippi, it is safe. With the pastors in 1 Corinthians 3, with the teachers in 1 Corinthians 3, not safe. You see? There was little glimpses of safety, not with the pastors, not with the, you know, the, uh, uh, the elders, but in Chloe's house. You see, equipping and training in Chloe's house for the work of the ministry and how beautiful it is to see that. You have to have spiritual eyes to even see this. You have to have this discernment, which is of the Spirit. Remember the Word of God? We don't read the Bible like literature. Anybody can do that. It's a piece of cake. I mean, provided you can read. You read the Bible as literature, anybody can do that. But when you have discernment of spirit, understanding that the word of God is spiritually discerned and the Holy Spirit teaches, now you can see something different. You read the Bible like literature, it's like, okay, you know, what's happening here? What's happening there? Okay, historically this, historically that. And it's just like reading a history book. 
but you read with spiritual discernment. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And it's not knowledge for puffing up. Remember the greatest gift? Love. Love is not puffed up, arrogant, prideful. It's just the opposite. Love leads to humility. And it's the meek that shall inherit the earth. With the pastors and elders in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there was danger. Don't have Episunagage there with them, but in Chloe's house, Episunagage there, beautiful. Episunagage in Chloe's house, safe. Episunagage with the pastor, dangerous. Episunagage with the pastors and the teachers in Galatia, danger. A lot of danger because they wanted to take Christians, saints, and bring them out of Christ and return them to the law. Servants of Satan. Remember 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I fear lest somehow the simplicity in Christ that you may be seduced away from the simplicity that is in Christ and that you might well put up with it. These servants of Satan who present themselves as servants of righteousness, they come in with a different gospel in accordance to a different spirit and they teach a different Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible whose name is above him. Or whose, whose word is above his name as the Bible teaches. That's how you'll know the real Jesus. Whose word is above his name. You take a lineup. A thousand Christs. And they all have Jesus Christ. On their name tag. How will you know the real one? The real one? His word is above his name. Everything will align. The squares will fit in the squares. The triangles will fit in the triangles. The circles will fit in the circles. The rectangle in the rectangle. The octagon in the octagon. Everything will fit perfectly. His word is above his name. But the fake Christ, they might look like the real, but the fake Christ will say, Oh, let's go grave soaking. Let's soak up the spirit of the Lord. Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Oh, God is done with Israel. Israel has been replaced with the church. Oh, let's go ahead. Let's be the money. Listen to the money preachers. Name it and claim it. Health and wealth gospel. You see? But when you see Jesus, whose word is above his name, and the pastors and the elders and the teachers who preach and teach in accordance to the word of God, and the word became flesh, that's Episunagage. You want to be Episunagage with the you know, uh, the, the pastors and teachers like in 1 Corinthians 3? Look at the danger that it brought to the church. 
Look at the harm that it brought to the saints. Oh, don't speak like that. How how dare you speak against the Lord's the Lord's anointed? When the Lord has anointed, you'll see the anointing. How dare you say that against a pastor? Well, using biblical qualifiers, biblical qualifications. Do you see a pastor? Do you see a, a, a name tag that says pastor? Because that's of the flesh. Or do you look at, do you read the Bible, look at the biblical qualifications of pastor? Because when you see the biblical qualifications of pastor, forget the name tag. See? There is safety behind such teachers, such pastors, such as is written in verse 1, the bishops and the deacons. And it's not just with the bishops and deacons, like it's like, you know, like a, like a, a ham and Swiss sandwich. You know, you got the, you know, rye bread. I, I, you know, I don't like rye bread too much, but I like it with cer- certain sandwiches. I like, you know, ham and Swiss on rye. You got to have the right mayonnaise too. It's not just, you know, okay, you got the rye, you got the, you know, ham, you know, rye with ham, with Swiss, with specific mayonnaise, jazzed up a little. That's surface stuff. That's, it's much deeper than that. It's with the, the saints in verse 1. Saints in Christ Jesus with soon, soon, this togetherness. This companionship, this intimacy, this closeness that is emphasized as being beyond average also translates as completeness. These are pastors. The pastors and teachers in Philippi are ones who train, equip. They were all on the mat. They were all on the mat with all the saints. And it's not, you know, they, they teach, they pour into And these are saints who are growing and maturing in Christ, laying aside the things which so easily ensnare them. These are saints who are crucified with Christ. Remember, you know, everybody likes to uh, uh, quote from Ephesians. In Ephesians, uh, 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 or in uh, 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 Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, turn really quick to Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beautiful, beautiful verse. One of my favorite. I have millions and billions and trillions of favorite verses. But this is one that it's up there. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, you take the saints in Corinth, believers in Jesus Christ, and the guy who is having sex with his dad's wife. Picture this guy. 
whoever he is, picture this guy. And him proclaiming, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can he even apply such scripture to his life? Can such beautiful passage of scripture even be applied to him? The answer is no. Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good to the saints in Corinth. It's not to say that, you know, you have, when you're, you know, remember when we started, I said, you know, be honest with yourself. What grade are you in? Are you 1 Corinthians? Are you 2 Corinthians? Are you Galatians? Are you Ephesians? Because if you're in one of those, desire to move to Philippians. If you're in 1 Corinthians 3, you got, you got a little growing to do. You got the, the most growing to do. But it's dangerous. That's why I talk with a lot of saints, you know, and a lot of saints, even more in these last days, they're bummed out about, you know, my pastor's crazy. And they, they feel bad about talking about their pastor. Oh, my pastor, you know, he, my pastor, you know, he introduced this co-pastor, introduced this new pastor, and now we got to do observe Lent, and now this Catholicism is coming in, and now they have, you know, women elders, women pastors, female. I don't like talking bad about my pastor, but what's happening? Now, listen to me. If that is you, I rejoice in the fact that you have this tenderness for a teacher, a pastor. It's beautiful. But remember, the formula must be right. The Bible identifies the qualifications for pastor and teacher. It's not you that is in the wrong. It is said pastor that is in the wrong. Said teacher that is in the wrong. He has left Christ. Oh, but my pastor is now a, a, a female. She, that the formula is not right. So you hear us say from time to time, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. You're not jumping ship to leave Christ. You're jumping ship to remain in Christ. Whose word is above his name. Those other ships are dangerous. You see? In the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the guy who was having sexual relations with his dad's wife. I mean, it's it's cringe. It's like, what in the world? This is this is the church? This is these are Christians? Paul says not 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 even the Corinthians, not even the non-believers are doing this. And they had their like sex goddesses, they they had sex gods and sex goddesses, and they had all kinds of different mess and They're not even doing this. If that guy who was in that sin were to proclaim, as Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Stop right there. 
Who is it that would stand up and say, I don't see crucifixion. I don't see crucifixion. Oh, but God is love. Let us, don't judge lest you be judged. Look, God is love. Absolutely, God is love. But any parent loves his child. Any parent, you know, a parent loves his child, a parent loves her child, but the child still gets the tap taps. In some cases, the belt belt. You see? Oh, but God is love. God is love. Absolutely, God is love. But he also chastises those whom he loves. The saints in Corinth were in harm's way because of their teachers, because of their pastors. You look at churches today. I don't blame them for the works of the flesh. I mean, there's, they, they bear you know responsibility. But you know what I do? I look at the pulpit. How in the world does this guy, how in the world does this gal get off teaching such thing? Teaching this, teaching that, excusing this, excusing that. A lot of Christians, a lot of saints, they echo the words of Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beautiful, beautiful verse. But many saints use this verse in error because it doesn't apply to them yet. It's not that it doesn't apply to them, period, and, you know, that's it. No, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or I'll say 1st grade, it might not apply, depending on the works of the flesh, it might not apply to you. Might. That's between you and the Lord. If you're in First Corinthians, or 2nd Corinthians, it still might not apply, but it applies better. If you're in Galatians, it still might not apply. If you're abiding in the law, Ephesians, better. Philippians, beautiful. Because you see maturity. Remember, to be crucified with Christ... To be crucified with Christ, the real Jesus. That means you're dead. And I'm, I speak spiritually. I'm not saying, you know, suicide. or anything. I speak spiritually. To be crucified with Christ, which is beautiful. That's like, you know, what we desire for all of us. Myself included. We're in the same boat. But to be crucified with Christ means you're dead. Spiritually, Paul says, it is no longer I who live. You see, Paul's dead. But Christ lives in me. Paul is so dead that you can't even see Paul. You see Christ. 
You see, people say, oh, I don't want to deify Paul. Look, the Christians, they deify Paul. What are you talking about? It's Christ in Paul. Christ is always on the receiving end of glory. It's not to deify Paul. It's to see Christ in Paul. Paul's dead. Spiritually speaking. Oh, you speak so highly of, of, of Priscilla and Lydia. They're dead. You speak so highly of Chloe. She's dead. She's crucified with Christ. Paul's crucified with Christ. Timmy's crucified with Christ. Lydia, she's crucified with Christ. The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife? I don't see crucifixion. He's in trouble. For three years, for three years, the pastors didn't tell him. For three years, the elders said nothing. You see? That's not just leaven. That's like a little leaven leavens the bunch. That's a lot of leaven, not just in one guy, because that that permeated, that spread. And so what does Paul say to the saints in Corinth? He says, okay, identify these works of the flesh. Okay, that's them. They want to be on a sinking ship. That's fine. You guys, the remnant, jump ship. Jump ship, straight up. The pastors and teachers in those ships... It is not safe to have episunagage with them. Do not have episunagage with them. It is dangerous. It is harmful. It is not safe. Now we get into Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The saints in Christ. The saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Soon, with Soon, the overseers and teachers, it's safe with them. That's beautiful. He says in verse 2, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is so beautiful. Upon every remembrance of you, Philippian saints, I thank the Lord. When I remember you. Upon every single remembrance of you, I thank my God. Look at this episunagage. Yes, there's safety, episunagage, with the saints and their teachers and their pastors and their elders. When the formula is right, it is safe. And then you have Paul as overseer of the overseers. And the episunagage extends even further upon every remembrance of you guys. I think, my God. You see? He says in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. 
Look at this beautiful intimacy, spiritual intimacy. Look at this beautiful episunagagi, this togetherness, this companionship, this closeness, this completeness. And he says of you all with joy. Remember our study in Hebrew. Turn to Hebrews 13 really quick. Remember Hebrews 13 in verse 17? In Hebrews 13 verse 17 The writer here says, obey those who rule over you. This speaks of pastors. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, you remember our study when the, 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 uh, the family dynamics within a family for wives and husbands and children and fathers and, you know, the, the biblical exhortation to obey your overseer, to obey the pastor, obey the teacher. Now, it's biblical, it is beautiful, it is glorious, but it is very, very, very dangerous. With Paul, the formula is right. With the pastors in Philippi, the formula is right. With the elders in Philippi, the formula is right. With the pastors in 1 Corinthians 3, formula wrong, dangerous. You see? So, you know, the Bible says, obey those who rule over you. Oh, I'm going to obey my pastor. I'm going to obey my pastor. Okay, let's call into question your pastor. Is the formula right in him? Or it's not a him, it's a her. Okay, there you go. Wrong formula, jump ship. It is not safe. It is not safe to apply verse 17 to that guy, to that gal, to here, to there, to there, to there, to here, to here, to there, to there. It is not safe. Why? Because the formula is wrong. The so-called teachers in Galatia, not safe. Why? Because look at what Satan was doing. Look at what Satan was doing in this, in, 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 in this for the saints of Galatia. What he was doing is he was using, Satan was using his vessels his servants presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness to all of a sudden go to the church and say, hey guys, let's start obeying the things that Moses writes of. Let's leave. They weren't saying this, but this is what was happening. They were saying, let's leave the new covenant, which is established by Christ, the one who Moses wrote of. Let's leave the new covenant and let's abide in the old covenant. You see? And the Lord cleaned house through vessel Paul. And so in Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out, not for your bank account. They watch out, not for, you know, put oil in your car. They watch out for your souls. Yes, there's this life, but the life to come? When the formula is right in such overseers and pastors and teachers, where it is safe to have the episunagage, remember the exhortation, you know, to have these conversations with saints. And they, they don't want to leave their fellowship. Oh, but something's wrong, look. 
this is happening in the fellowship. Look, the pastor's doing this. The elders are doing this. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. When the formula is wrong, leave. Jump ship. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. But when the formula is right, stay. There is safety. You see? And in jumping ship, that might mean that you start your own home fellowship. So you look at that big mega church across the street. Full parking lot. Thousands go there. But you might be like Chloe. Where the multitudes gather over here. But it is not safe. But those in Chloe's household, safety. You see? Just like in Corinth. Oh, but the Bible says I got to listen to my pastor. I got to obey him. Yes, it does. But don't forget, there's multiple formulas, multiple vessels. Remember, we just studied this on Wednesday. Multiple pots. Got a industrial commercial grade kitchen. You got multiple burners, 10 burners. Ten pots. And in ten pots, which ten vessels will say, you're cooking this, you're cooking that, you're cooking this, you're cooking that, and in each one, the formula has to be right. If it's going to be delicious. If it's going to be delicious, the formula has to be right. The ingredients have to be right. The recipe has to be right. Everything perfect. You pour a little bit of this, you add a little bit of that, you pour this, you pour that, little sprinkle here, sprinkle there, bada-bing, bada-boom, and... It's beautiful. The same thing applies to you in where you fellowship. I teach the living. If the formula is wrong in you, repent and be right with the Lord. If you're listening and you're not a believer, cut it out. Be a believer no more. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. Let today be the day of salvation right now. God loves you. He desires to to bless you, this goodness, to have this intimacy with you, but the formula must be right. You see? And when the formula is right, episunagage, you see? It activates other promises, other verses, other truths. The formula is wrong, okay? You know, pastor's alcoholic, pastor's, you know, doing his sex and his drugs and his occult and whiskey and, you know, his crack and all these different things, a gambler and all these things, so-called pastor. No, he's going to stand before the Lord and he'll be judged. The formula is right in you. You love the Lord, you fear the Lord, you read the Bible, you're obedient to the word, you're yielding to the word, you're yielding to the spirit. And if you obey that pastor, that's harmful for you. That is dangerous for you. 
Do not do that. Don't feel bad about jumping ship when the ship is in crazy town. It is safe for your soul to jump ship. You see? And for these people, when the formula is right among pastors and teachers, where it's safe for you to have episunagage and intimacy with and closeness, they watch out for your souls, he says in verse 17. He says, as those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let them do so with joy. You see? Let them do so with joy. You and me. You and me. Let's get in the time machine. We go back in time to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We see the abundance of the works of the flesh inside the church. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. We see an abundance of the works of the flesh inside the church. Uncorrected by the pastors. Uncorrected by the elders. And we figure, well, you know, we're all saints, so... I think maybe we should go gambling with these guys. Look, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe we should go gambling with them. Maybe we should do this with them. Look, it's... The pastor says it's okay. Maybe we should do this. Then we get on the phone. Uh, you know, we go back in time, but we have our, you know, modern technology. We get on the phone and call a pastor from Philippi, a friend of ours. Hey, pastor, here we are in Corinth. Everything's fine over here. That There's all these works of the flesh and we gather and all these things. And that pastor says, the pastor whom we're speaking to on the phone, he says, don't do that, you guys. Don't do that. Don't go gambling. Don't, you know, they're going to drink and have all these libations and don't do this. Don't go, you guys. And so we say our goodbyes, I love yous, we hang up and you and me, we look at each other. We have two different pastors. One's in Corinth, one's in Philippi. They both have the title pastor. But where is the formula right? You see? But the Bible says in verse 17, obey those who rule over you. I got to obey my pastor. I got to I got to be submissive to the pastor. Now, in Corinth, do you see how dangerous that was? But in Philippi, do you see how beautiful that is? How safe it is? And it's not like, you know, a rigid thing. Like, okay, I gotta obey whatever he said. I gotta obey, obey, obey. It's not... How many times when we look at Paul's writings... 
he would always emphasize. You know, I don't want to lord over you, but you know, this is what I say. I have every right to, you know, to take an offering. But I don't want your money. This is an overseer. I don't want to lord over you. I don't want your money. I want to present you to the Lord. Remember he says, a chaste virgin. Purity unto the Lord. Who speaks like that? So when you read verse 17 here in Hebrews 13, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. People think like, okay, it's like a rigid thing. Like, oh my goodness, I got to obey whatever this guy says. I got to listen to whatever this guy says. I got like, I'm a robot. He, he's like programming me. Then look at Paul. Look, I don't want your money. I don't want to lord over you. Remember the saints in Corinth, you know, the, the Macedonian example. Paul, take the money, take the money. Look, it's for you guys. I don't want it. They they were pleading with Paul. Paul, take it. Do you know a pastor who you have to beg to take your money? A pastor who refuses your money? I mean, you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, every pastor is begging for money. Ministries begging for money. Little guilt trips. Oh, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll support. You'll give. You'll tithe. Little guilt trip. Because saints, every every saint wants to be a part of what the Lord is doing. Little guilt trip. Well, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, then you'll write a check for a hundred bucks. You'll, you know, give money here. Send your money here. Little guilt trip. But what pastor do you know says, keep your money. Present your body a living sacrifice. What pastor do you know who says, I want to present you a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. Keep your money. That's episodagage. Now you see verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. When you have a pastor like that, a teacher like that, that's like the Philippian type. It's safe. Episodagage all the way, 100%. But the first Corinthians 3 type of pastor, the one who, remember in our time machine, he wants us to go gambling with, you know, oh, we're going to have fellowship with the saints. Look, let no one deny the assembly of the saints. Look, the assembly of the saints, it's beautiful. And oh, the government doesn't want us to have this assembly of the saints. And we're just going to have this little Bible study happy hour. We'll have our, you know, our beers, you know, it's cheap beer. We'll have our cheap beers, open up our Bibles. The assembly of the saints, oh yeah, we don't want government. Look, how dare the government do this? Church isn't a social club, my friend. It's training ground. 
among the Hagios, the Ecclesia. And when you have that, it's, it's holy ground. That's Episunagage. That's where Episunagage is not just safe, it is beautiful. It is lovely. But in the, of the Corinthian type, 1 Corinthians 3, excluding Chloe. Chloe's a, she's a different ballgame with Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Different ballgame with her. Episunagage, that's beautiful. Most likely a home fellowship of females. Most likely. If they were males, probably children. And, you know, as evidenced by, you know, male headship, male covering. And, you know, you don't see that because what Chloe does is she goes to her male covering, which is Paul, to report there's something wrong in Corinth. How beautiful when Paul, look at the, not just the countenance of Chloe, but the witness of Chloe. For Paul to know, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, for Paul to say, okay, Based on Chloe's report and those in her household. Now, we got to write this letter. You know, the, pray about it and then the, the Spirit of the Lord say, okay, Paul, write a letter, correct the letter, you know. What does that say about Chloe and those in her household? Their witness. Paul knows, okay, this is a home fellowship in Chloe's house. They're not going to lie. They're not going to make up stories. Oh, you know, this guy cheated me, so now I'm going to tell Paul that he's having sex with his dad's wife. No, they're not making stories up. Oh, how dare you, Chloe, you're gossiping. That ain't gossip. That is godly. Because Chloe desires cleanliness among the saints of Corinth. You see, holiness. So in that example we gave with the time machine, you know, we go back in time. We we listen to this pastor in Corinth who says, okay, let's go. We're going to have a nice episunagage. We're going to have a, a nice assembly of the saints. You know, let not anybody forsake the assembly of the saints. And we're going to go over here. We're going to go gambling, a nice little social club. Look, the it's episunagage. Look, it's biblical. Look, we're going to have this episunagage, you know, the assembly of the saints that we shouldn't forsake. Guy's having sex with his dad's wife. Huh? Let's just love on him. A guy wants to worship Buddha. Well, let's just love on him. A guy wants to do the occult, be a drunkard. Oh, let's just love on him. We call her Another pastor in Philippi, he says, don't go. Don't listen to that guy. You see? We're presented with the choice, you and me. Listen to the Corinthian pastor or the Philippian pastor. They're both pastors. But then we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and then all of a sudden the word of God reveals, wait a second, in Corinth, that ain't no pastor. 
And because the formula is wrong in him, all of a sudden, you know, verse 17, obey those who, Hebrews 13, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. All of a sudden we know, okay, the formula is right in the Philippian. So now I'm going to listen. I'm going to submit to the Philippian who's watching out for my soul. Who knows he's going to give an account to the Lord. And it is written here in verse 17, let them do so with joy. Let them do so with joy. Now, let's go back to Philippians 1. And what does Paul say in verse 4? He says, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. You see? Look at the formula. Remember the commercial grade kitchen? You know, we got 10 burners and 10 pots. Look at the look at the vessel. Look at the pot that is Paul. Look at the pot that is the vessel that is Timothy. Look at the pot that is the Philippian pastor. The vessel. Look at the vessel that is the Philippian elder. Look at the, the vessel that is the Philippian bishop and the Philippian deacon. And look at the pots that are the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Philippian saints. Imagine that aroma. Oh, imagine that aroma. We know something's cooking and it is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is glorious. Imagine that aroma. The formula is right. You see? The pastor, the Philippian pastor. Counsel from the Philippian pastor is safe. Counsel from the Philippian elder is safe. To heed the Philippian pastor is safe. To heed the Philippian teacher is safe. And these overseers, they are in joy. Because we got this 10 burner commercial grade kitchen. And all these pots, big pots, little pots, tiny pots, the little ones in the faith, little tiny pots for the saucier. Beautiful. Imagine that kitchen. That's so glorious. And so we see this in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Very interesting. For your fellowship, koinonia. Koinonia, which translates as intercourse, but it is social intercourse. It's intimacy. Now, it, in saying that, if your mind goes off into crazy town, repent. When you, you, you hear social intercourse, repent. Don't let your mind go into crazy town. Remember, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4, verse 8, which we're going to get to eventually in a couple weeks, but, you know, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When we say social intercourse, don't let your mind go into crazy town. That's what this is in verse 5. For your 
fellowship, koinonia. It is social intercourse. It is intimacy. Intimacy in the fellowships. Not carnal, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Closeness. You see how beautiful? When the formula is right, you can have intimacy with another brother, intimacy with another sister, intimacy, closeness, because you know it is safe. But this is a byproduct of maturing in Christ and the gifts of the Spirit moving in the fellowship. Because look at what we see here in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Remember in Corinth, three years of arrested development? Three years of arrested development in Corinth. But let me tell you something. This ain't Corinth. This is Philippi. They're still running the race. They're still enduring in Christ. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember Acts 16, the book of Acts 16. And the church was founded in Acts 16, but it was founded in around 49 AD. 49 AD. And this letter to the saints in Philippians, in in Philippi, it was written 62 AD. You know what that tells us? 13 years, not the three years arrested development like in Corinth, but for 13 years, remember, verse 5, Paul says, for your fellowship, your koinonia, your social intercourse, for your fellowship, this is where, where episunagage is beautiful, safe, the formula is right, 10 burners, remember, and the aromas are out of this world because they're not in this world. From the first day until now. From Acts 16 in 49 AD. To now 62 AD. 13 years. That's not like Corinth. That's not like Galatia. This is beautiful Philippi. Now. Remember. When we mentioned at the beginning that. You're going to see something different in Timothy. Because in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of of Jesus Christ. Now, in Paul's bubble, you see something beautiful in Paul's bubble. Now, in saying bubble, I don't mean like a carnal entourage. I mean a holy bubble. The next generation of righteousness, yes, but not just righteousness. The next generation of pastors and teachers and overseers and deacons and overseers of overseer and overseers of overseers like Timothy. And you see Timothy's maturity. Why? Because also in Acts 16, that's when you see Timothy being joined to Paul. You see? Listen to our study from Acts 16. And that's where you see Timothy joined to Paul. Remember? Eunice and Lois... Mom and dad max out, you know, we've, we've trained them up with as, as much as we can. We have this prophecy that he's going to be serving the Lord in this capacity. And Paul, we've trained him up as best we can, Lord. And we want our son to be joined to you, Paul. Now, if you're a parent, 
If you're a parent, who who is it? Who is it in the church where that is safe? <laughs> who is it in the church where to do such a thing is safe for your son? You see how hardcore this is? You have a eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old son. To all of a sudden, I mean, I'm not suggesting, you know, you know, just we're put yourself in Eunice and Lois' issues and Papa. Not too much said about Papa of Timothy, but put yourself in their shoes. They're they're no fools, brother and sisters in Christ. They're no fools. And to take Timothy and say, Paul, let him be joined to you. And for Paul to say, I don't want this kid. You guys didn't raise him right. I don't want this kid. Look, I want to throw him across the room. No. You see the formula? Remember the 10 burners. And when the formula is right, you see how safe it is? I mean, we have all kinds of examples why the, when, when, when the formula is wrong. We have all kinds of examples of, you know, you know, red flags all over the place. Don't do this, 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 don't do this. You know, Corinth is Corinth, the world is the world. But when the formula is right. Oh, look, here's our son, little Timmy. Eight years old, nine years old, I don't know. We've maxed out, we've trained him as best we can. And Paul sees the fruit, he's not a fool. He sees the fruit. He knows the closeness, the social intercourse, the koinonia that he has with them. He knows. He sees it, he sees the fruit. He knows what was prophesied on Timothy. He knows it. You see the hand of God? I don't want to suggest like choreography, but do you see how the hand of God is moving and directing and guiding? If you're a parent, who is it in the church? An overseer, a pastor, an elder. Do you know how dangerous that is in today's culture? Do you know how dangerous that is? I mean, we have physical examples, and I don't want to get graphic. But I'll say something. I'll reveal my own flesh to you. Anybody who molests kids, I want to kill. That's my flesh. But I don't have to go there. Because anybody who does that to kids, God will take care of them. God will kill them. Outside of repentance, God will kill them. You know how dangerous that is? When the formula is right. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 3, the pastors of 1 Corinthians 3, do you know how dangerous that is? But when the formula is right, to enjoin a child into the bubble of Paul, 
in fulfillment of how the Spirit prophesied in his life, how he was going to be used, how the Lord wanted to use him. Called him out, straight up Timothy, as a child. Today's world, people will say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. Rubbish. Rubbish. And in those vessels, you will not see the power of the Holy Spirit because they deny the power. But when the formula is right, for the parents, for grandma of little Timmy, to say, Paul, we want him to be in your bubble. And then for Paul to take him, that's what we see in Acts 16. In 49 AD. You see? And 13 years later, you see the Philippian saints. They're still, they're, they're, you don't see, you know, when, when in first, first Corinthians, uh, three, when Paul says, you know, I came to you with milk and I still gotta give you milk because you are carnal. I can't get you, I, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people. But that's Corinth. That's the condition of the saints in Corinth. And there's a lot of fixing that needs to be involved. Say remnant, okay, you know, here's the leaven, okay, separate from the leaven. Here's the leaven, that's their ship. Now you remnant, jump ship. Separate from them. But that's Corinth. That's the condition of Corinth. Now for the remnant, we got to fix you up. We got to clean you up. Do I praise you in this? Nope. Do I praise you in that? Nope. We got to study and we got to teach you about, you know, this is what marriage looks like. This is what the home looks like. This is all this, 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 this. Put it all together. Again. But you don't see that in Philippi. That was three years arrested development in Corinth. But Philippi, 13 years growing and maturing in Christ. 49 AD, Acts 16, Acts 16. Listen to our study through the book of Acts. And in Acts 6, 16, you see the, Acts 16, you see the birth of the church. You see Timothy, little Timmy, being joined unto Paul. How old was Timothy? I don't know. I know he was young. And here you see him getting his deeper in his intimacy with Paul. In verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ. Remember, Paul doesn't say Timothy is a bondservant in, you know, in every single passage. But here, 13 years later, as Timothy has grown and matured in Christ, in Paul's bubble, the next generation of righteousness, yes, but a little different, the next generation of overseers and an overseer of overseers. This is little Timmy. Paul's right-hand man. And this, Philippians, this letter to the church in Philippi was written in 62 AD. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but 1 Timothy was written in 63 AD. So a year after this, little Timmy enter, enters pastoral ministry. You see? 14 years in the bubble of Paul. 14 years in the bubble of Paul. Oh, how dare you deify Paul? No, Paul's dead. Christ in Paul. You see? 
And little Timmy gets to witness, gets to see how Paul was beaten. And yet how Paul, it was customary for Paul to go into the synagogue and engage. Not to go into the synagogue and beat everybody up. But to go into the synagogue and engage spiritual warfare. Not in accordance to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But to go in in spiritual warfare and engage and prove that Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And he saw the uproar that it caused. Little Timmy. Let's say he was seven years old in Acts 16. Fourteen years later, age 21. I'm terrible in math. I'm pretty sure it's age 21. Fourteen years, seven plus 14. Age 21, entering the ministry as an overseer. What if little Timmy in Acts 16 was 10 years old? Age 24. Pastor in the church. And not just a pastor. Paul's bubble. That's different. That's hardcore. You see? An overseer of overseers. 62 AD is... When this letter to the church in Philippi was written, 63 AD was when 1 Timothy was written, and then 67 AD is when 2 Timothy was written. And you know what's so powerful about how the Lord uses his vessels, all the pots? 68 AD, Paul dies. Paul dies, dead. Historically, head chopped off. And you see, in, when you get into our study, when we're going to study this hardcore, when we get into 2 Timothy, when Paul starts to say, you know, my life is being poured out as a drink offering, he knows it's the end of the road in the flesh. And how beautiful it is. Only Luke is with me, he says to young Pastor Timmy. You see how powerful this is? No three years arrested development. You know, like, you know, first grade and then, you know, three years later you figure, okay, first grade, second grade, third grade and moving on to perfection. But in the case of Corinth, it was first grade and then year two, first grade again. And year three, first grade again. Year four, first grade. And then Paul says, hey, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people. I can't, we can't go into the depths of what I should be, you know, but I can't. Why? Because of carnality. Oh, but we're crucified with Christ. The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. Do you see crucifixion? I don't see crucifixion. Therefore, the formula is wrong. You see? Okay, Corinthian saints. This is the, this is leaven. This is leaven. They're on a ship. Okay, now you remnant jump ship. But the Philippian saints, 13 years moving on to perfection. You see their maturity? And in the church in Philippi, you don't see the works of the flesh like you do in Corinth. Paul is able to immediately touch on deep things of the faith. 
no milk. He's like, you know, you know, uh, me and Timothy were, me and little Timmy were bondservants of Jesus Christ. And you saints who are in Philippi, in Episunagage with your teachers and pastors and overseers, at ten burners and every single vessel, it's beautiful. There's maturity, 13 years, no arrested development. And boom, now we can get into the deep things, you know. Acts 16, milk. 14, 13 years later, to the, this letter to the Philippi, boom, we can get into the spiritual pork chops. We can get into the meat of the word. Deep spiritual things. Corinthians? No. They have their bottles. It's not to shame the saints of, of, of Corinth in one sense. I mean, the behavior is shameful in itself. But it's not to shame them like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, you're going to burn in hell. No. But it's to understand that they're babies. Now, since they're babies, as evidenced by the fruit, as evidenced by the flesh and the works of the flesh, since they're babies, now we got to move on to perfection. And this is what we got to do. We got to clean house. And the Lord cleans house, but he uses his vessels. Notice, when we talk about the 10 burner, the commercial commercial stove, we, we, we talk about the 10 burners, the pots and the ingredients and all these things, you know, it's not mentioned to the chef. It's not carnal. It's Jesus Christ. The work that he's doing in your life. And when the formula is right and... All the pots, all the vessels, the overseer, the pastor, the teacher, the, the elders, the, the bishops, the deacons, the beautiful, beautiful pews. When the formula is right and beautiful, stay. Do not jump ship. Because it is safe for you. But when the formula is wrong, what what should be seen is the major the, the bulk of wrong formula should be found at a higher concentration level in the pews. You see, that's what should happen. And not that that's a bad thing, but we together are moving on to perfection. Now, understand that in the pews, you might have a Philippian type, you might have a Corinthian type. You see, that's so the, the, the Philippian type with the Corinthian type, but yet understanding that the Corinthian type is moving on to the Philippian type. You see, it's growth and maturing. But where you see, and you know, when I say you the, the highest concentration of wrong formula in the pews, now that wrong formula shouldn't stay wrong formula. That wrong formula is, will be, Corrected lovingly. Remember our study in Romans? You know, the, the rugby match? 20-year-old, a 20-year-old college rugby team plays rugby with a 4-year-old. Now, the 20-year-old isn't going to mow over and destroy the 4-year-old. No, it's the 20-year-old has to humble himself, humble her, herself, so that the 4-year-old rugby player, we can have fun. We can have fun. Now the four-year-old learns to throw, to toss, to run, to take, not hits, little tap, tap. 
Because the little four-year-old, male-female, is learning about warfare. Slowly but surely. Learning about warfare. Learning about combat. How to run. How to throw. And we're having fun because we're rolling around on the mat. Spiritually speaking, we're rolling around on the mat. Training and being equipped by the Spirit of the Lord. The formula is right on the rugby field. The formula is right on the, on the mat. Among the teachers, among the, the pews, the overseers, the bishops, the deacons, among the, the formula is beautiful. You see? That's what you see in the Philippian church. You don't see it in the church today. The church is in trouble today. But even that fulfills prophecy. I don't say that like, you know, like glowingly. I say that with an immense sorrow in my heart. But I'm not called to teach the dead. I speak to the living. I speak to you. You see this model church in Philippi. Beautiful, beautiful church in Philippi. You walk into the doors and it's like this beautiful aroma. Because you can see the, the works of the Spirit. You can see the fruit of the Spirit. You can see it. But you need spiritual eyes. You need spiritual ears. Listening and obeying and submitting to the pastors in Philippi. Safe, beautiful, lovely. Not lording over you. Understanding that he is training and teaching and equipping. A vessel of the Lord being used by the Lord for that very purpose. Called of the Lord for that very purpose. And I tell you the truth. Because of the flesh... Because of the flesh, saints jump ship from those fellowships. Because of the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. That's not good. Behold the last days. Like the two, two prophets in Revelation. The Antichrist will kill them. And you know what the, the Bible says about the world? The world will rejoice when these two prophets are dead. What does that say about the world? Knowing the mother of harlots who has daughter harlots... Oh, they're too judgmental. These people, they're too judgmental. Don't go there. Don't go there. Look, God is love. God is love. And you have believers who are jumping ship from the ark, from a place where it is safe. And the world will rejoice when the two prophets are dead. Oh, look, they came and all they did was, you know, they, they, they weren't tolerant. 
And now they're dead. We rejoice. Look, the Antichrist, this world leader, the, the leader of the world, he's killed him and all these things. And then the Lord's going to cause these beautiful men to rise. Resurrection. And all the world will see and they will know we're in trouble. The return of Jesus Christ. All of these things, signs of the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, whose word is above his name. And Paul, who has this joy, remember we looked at Hebrews 13, but then we see in verse 4 that he every prayer of, of mine making requests for you all with joy. And then we see in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, in verse 6, being confident of this very thing. Being confident in this very thing. Look at, look at the wording that Paul uses. That he has this joy for the saints in Philippi. That he's confident of this very thing. But you don't see the confidence in Paul in Galatia because he says to Galatians, he, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? To the Galatians he says, Have I labored for you in vain? You don't see this confidence in the saints in Galatia. Why? Because they've left the grace of Jesus Christ and attempt to be justified by the works of the law. Where is death? They didn't listen to him. They didn't heed him. They didn't obey him. They didn't submit to him. Not that he wanted, you know, hey, I am Paul, you got to listen to me. No, he, how many times does he say that you read his letters? Not the Lord over you. I don't want your money. I was a burden to no one. You invited me to your house. I don't want it. Not that I hate you, but no, I'm just going to sleep here on the grass. I'm going to sleep here in the field. I know you got your nice warm room and your warm blankets and all these things, but no, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want your fridge. I don't want your food. I don't want this. What I do want is to present to you a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. That's Paul. The Philippian saints listened to him. They heeded him. They obeyed him. They submitted to him. And look how beautiful. I mean, we have, we're just barely getting started. And already look how beautiful they are. Look how beautiful. Can you see it? 13 years. No milk, like in Corinth. Spiritual pork chops, beef ribs, all oh, the best briskets. It's like they can sink their teeth into the meat of the word. Can you see it, my friend? In Paul's confidence. To the saints in Galatia, have I labored for you in vain? Now you see the difference between Philippi and Galatia. Philippi and Corinth. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he, speaking of the Lord, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, this is it. This is it, like 
It's not a knock on Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. To suggest that Paul has confidence in Christ who will complete it. It's not a knock like, you know, could the Lord not complete it? It's not a knock on Jesus Christ. But it it shows the beauty of the people's hearts. The hearts of the saints in Corinth that are steadfast in the Lord. Do you remember our study in Numbers when the Lord says to Israel, okay, you know, uh, I took care of Egypt, now you take care of Canaan. You see? I took care of Egypt, now you take care of Canaan. You know, the battle belongs to the Lord, absolutely. Sometimes he does it himself. The majority of time he uses his vessels. You see? Just like, you know, the, the Lord using... The Lord did it himself in Egypt, and then the Lord uses Israel for Canaan. And then just like, you know, the Lord cleans house in Corinth. The Lord cleans house using vessel Paul, using vessel Chloe. Male, female. So like, how do you mean Chloe's female? How could you, why do you speak so highly of Chloe? She's female, she's female. And oh, the males are, you know, everybody has to submit to the male. No, 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 no. In Christ, there's no male, female. Pastors, elders, always male. Male covering. But in Christ, there's no male female. Look at, look at Priscilla. Look at Chloe. Look at Lydia. Pastors like to get on a high horse. Oh, male. We're, so, we're male and we're awesome. Get off of it. I know females in Christ who are mighty, mighty warriors. The, the greatest concentration of warriors in Christ are female. That's just in my experience and the majority old ladies. Old ladies. Beautiful, beautiful old ladies. I You know, if you're old, you know, I know a, a, a so-called teacher who goes to a church with old people and says your church is dead because he sees a sea of white hair, a sea of gray hair. He says your church is dead. What a fool. He is a fool. An idiotes. Where we get the word idiot. He is an idiot. Biblical idiot without understanding. This so-called teacher. Fool. You know, when the Lord called Moses, Moses, what do I do? And the Lord says, go to the elders. Now, it's not elders. You know, the elders weren't established just yet. He says, go to the elders, but he speaks of the old people. He says, go to the old people first. The ministry of old people for the next generation. So, you know, Moses goes to the old people and, you know, all of a sudden they're like, you know, okay, you know, like they're joined in episunagage, so to speak. Now the old people can be influencers of the next generation, of the younger generation. Because in the younger generation, they weren't on board with Moses at first. But the old people, you see, and the Lord told Moses, go to the old people. If you're old, and I speak in, according to the flesh, if you're old, like, you know, 40 and above, <laughs> like 60, 70, 80 
you know, 90, you know, three digits. If you're like in the hundos, don't feel bad. It's beautiful. From my experience and in my experience, I see the highest concentration of warriors in Christ. Not like, you know, little pipsqueak fighters. I'm like straight up warriors. The war dogs among the old people. The formula must be right though. Rejoice. Because of how the Lord can use you in your ability to influence the next generation. You see? Your kids, your grandkids, great-grandkids. But when the formula's wrong, that's dangerous. In you know, for you and for them. But when the formula's right, it is also dangerous, but in a good way. You see? It's like, remember the when we spoke about spiritual warfare and going into Fallujah, like, you know, 2005, 2004 Fallujah? Very, very dangerous environment. Very deadly environment. And in order to survive, you have to be deadly. You have to be dangerous. And I speak spiritually when I say this. But do you remember when we studied numbers and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to take care of Egypt and you take care of Canaan. You know, the Lord's going to do it, but he uses his vessels. And then all of a sudden, Israel, they were afraid. They were afraid. And because of their fear, as a result, the 11-day journey turned into 40 years. The Lord chastised them. And when Moses told them, they says, okay, that, you know, then this is what's going to happen. All of a sudden, Israel changed their mind. They said, okay, we don't want to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Now we'll go. Now we'll go and fight the Canaanites. But it was too late. Then the Lord told Moses, Moses, then tell them not to go. So what is it? You see, the Lord said, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, tell the people, go, you know, enter Canaan. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, Moses, tell the people, don't enter Canaan. Look at the two, the two, th- go to Canaan, don't go to Canaan. Did the Lord change his mind? No, no. How can that be? The Lord says, go into Canaan. All of a sudden he says, don't go into Canaan. You say he doesn't change his mind? No. Because he said, go into Canaan. And the people were afraid. They did not. They did not obey the Lord. They were afraid. And as a result, the Lord didn't change his mind. But he said, with that heart of fear, the formula is not right inside of you. Therefore, plan A doesn't fit. Plan A doesn't apply because in your heart is fear. And as a result of your disobedience, don't go. The Lord never changed his mind. He never changes. The people change their heart. That's Israel. The same thing happens to the church, to Christians. You see? And yet in Philippi, for the saints in Philippi, Paul has this confidence in the Lord. In verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, not, 
Not until the, the day of the rapture. Until the day of Jesus Christ. One day. Now, if you're listening for the first time, I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Listen to our studies. One of them is called the time of uh, uh, Jacob's trouble, biblically explained. And the next one is called when is the rapture? Listen to those two studies and you'll understand. You know, five years ago, I used to say, I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. People would go crazy. But today, as we get further in these last days, I say, I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And people listen. Because they're starting to see things happening. Events that are happening in the Middle East, geopolitically, things in the world, the condition of the world, chips that are being implemented for vaccine passports. And they're seeing these things and they're like, wait a second, I thought we weren't supposed to be here. You see? And that's what's so powerful about the things that happen in the 70th week. Because people's doctrines will be challenged. And in the majority of cases, will be found wanting. And in this, I rejoice. And Paul says here in verse 7, he says, just as it is, is right for me to think this of you all. Now, just as it is right, it translates as equitable and just. It is a good thing for me to think this of you. See, it's Paul's confidence in the Lord and, and, and the Lord who has begun the work and who will complete it in the saints in Philippi. It's not off base at all. It's not off base at all. Because he sees the fruit. He knows the fruit in, in Philippians. Where he doesn't have to say, you know, okay, this is the this is the leaven. Now everybody jump ship. Remnant jump ship. He doesn't have to say that like he says to Corinth. He doesn't have to say, you guys were on milk and you're still on milk. No, 13 years later, you have the saints in Episunagage. It's this deep... Union and intimacy and intercourse, social intercourse, togetherness and companionship and completeness with the overseers and teachers, with the pastors and teachers. It is safe in Philippi. Men who watch out for the souls of the saints. And Paul says in verse 7, listen, it's, it's right, it's equitable, it is just for me to think this of you. Not you, a remnant, and, you know, separating the leaven. He says, you all. You all. Because I have you in my heart. I hold you in my heart, he says. Inasmuch as both in my chains or my shackles, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Very interesting because there's this notion that is spreading today that the gospel doesn't need defense. And they quote these who they refer to as church fathers. But the real church fathers in chains defended the gospel.
when the formula is right. Paul knows the formula is right in the saints in Philippi. And he says, regarding their completeness and maturity in Christ, that the Lord will complete it in verse 6. But in verse 7, he says, it is right for me to think this of you all, not you remnant, you all in the saints in Philippi. It is right for me to think this way. But he couldn't say that in Corinth. Because it would have been wrong for him to think that way if the leaven was still there. It would have been wrong for him to think that way of the Galatian saints if everybody was doing the, being justified, attempting to be justified by the works of the law of Moses. It would have been wrong for him. But because of the obedience of the Philippian saints, all of a sudden these verses are effectuated all of a sudden this comes into play that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of jesus christ now remember the challenge that i posed to you in the beginning where you know to like our study in leviticus start thinking of your life as a sweet aroma unto the lord but then start thinking of your growth and maturity in christ as grade levels and what grade are you in are you in first second third fourth or fifth grade in terms of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. What grade are you in? Because if you're in first grade, and if you're in first grade in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're in first grade as a 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you're among the leaven, can verse 6 apply to you? If that's you today, if you're the first Corinthians 5 type, not the remnant, but the leaven, you believe in Jesus Christ. Remember, Brother James says, even the demons believe in Jesus Christ, but they do not obey Jesus Christ. So if you say, I believe Jesus Christ, I believe Jesus Christ, you do well. But don't forget, even the demons believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't obey. Now, my question to you is, do you obey? And I say this in love. I don't say this to hurt you. I love you. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and there is zero obedience to him, that's the same behavior of demons. You need to obey Jesus Christ. Oh, but that's works-based. We're not saved by works. Absolutely, we're not saved by works. But Brother James doesn't teach works-based salvation. He teach obedience-based which is better than the fat of rams. And if that is you, I say unto you, repent, 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 repent. And I love you. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How, 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 how to commit your life to Jesus. And for you, you recommit your life to Jesus. And then listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians so that you can mature and grow in Christ. And then all of a sudden, this confidence that Paul has for the saints can be effectuated unto you as a result of obedience. Not three years arrested development as in the case of Corinth, but 13 years of growth and maturing in Christ as in the case of Philippi. That this confidence of overseer Paul, a vessel of the Lord, can be extended unto you that he, the Lord, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul says of this type of saint, 
the Philippian type. He says, it is right in verse 7 for me to think this of you. You see? It is right for me to think this of you because 13 years growth and maturing in Christ, not three years arrested development, not a return to the law, not an attempt to be justified by the works of the law. And I say this not to hurt you. I say this because I love you. But a lot of saints attempt to apply verse 6 in their life when they cannot. A lot of Christians, many, many Christians, want to apply verse 6 in their life when they cannot. It's because of the flesh. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ and I trust in Him. So what if I do my crack? So what if I do my drugs? So what if I do my sex and my alcohol and Buddha and Mary and all kinds of things and the occult and the Ouija boards and the little white lights? So what? Because the Bible says he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But Paul dares not say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He dares not say this in, in Galatians chapter 1. You know what he says in Galatians 1? I mean, in, like, he opens up letters to churches very beautifully. But then, boom, Paul gets right down to, right down to business. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. That's what Paul says right off the bat. Galatians 1, verse 6. Can you see? I don't say this to hurt you in any way, shape, or form. But if you're in first grade, I rejoice that you're in first grade and, you know, not, you know, on the streets, so to speak. I rejoice that you're even enrolled in first grade, so to speak. And I speak according to the Spirit. But let us move on together to second grade. And if you're in second grade, I rejoice. But let us move on together to third grade, to fourth grade, to fifth grade. Let us move on to perfection. Male, female, I don't care. Young, old, I don't care. I mean, I care for you. But if you're old and you're thinking like, well, okay, I live my life and, you know, God can't save me. Rubbish. God can't use me. Rubbish. Look at all the old people he's used. Look at all the young people he's used. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Because he sees the heart. God is no respecter of persons. He sees the heart. Remember, he's long-suffering. Old Testament, New Testament, long-suffering. What does that say? He desires intimacy. He wants that with you. When the formula is right, it is so incredibly beautiful and so we see this in still in verse 7 paul says as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers with me of grace remember episunagage koinonia hagios the ecclesia and it feels like home when you have this, just as the exhortation we had last week when we looked at Hebrews 10, 
When the formula is right, you have the commercial grade kitchen, you have the 10 burners and 10 pots, big pots, little pots, old pots, new pots. Sweet, sweet, sweet aromas. Epasunagage, the Hagios, Ecclesia, Koinonia, intimacy, closeness. Remember, it's closeness that is beyond what it's spiritual, it's deep. And spiritually speaking, you can feel it. It's like home. Have you ever been, you walk into a fellowship and it just gives you the heebie-jeebies? I mean, you're, you have intimacy, intimacy with the Lord. You love the Lord, you feel the Lord. Or you love the Lord and you fear the Lord. The formula is right in you. Now, maturity level, that has nothing to do with it. You could be a brand new believer. You could believe in Jesus Christ today, a fresh baby, and you love the Lord and you fear the Lord. That's beautiful. That is be- those are those are the best ingredients to love the Lord and fear the Lord because it's like the base plate for add-ons, additional ingredients. You could be a brand new believer. You love the Lord and you fear the Lord. Now, baptism, yes, the belief in Jesus Christ, but don't forget the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a seal. You walk into a fellowship. You might not be like, you know, you're like a little baby Berean. You know the Bible a little bit, very basic level. You don't know the depths of the Old Testament, New Testament things. You need a teacher, but you just don't have that yet. You walk into the fellowship and you get the heebie-jeebies. It's like, there's just something wrong. It just doesn't, doesn't feel right. There's something wrong here. That's the spirit. Now, the formula must be right. It's like, I, you know, oh, I don't feel right here. Look, I, 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 I feel like I'm, 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 I'm being judged, you know. So what if I do my crack? You know, I'm being judged here. I, I'm, and so what if I'm doing my sex and my alcohol? And I don't like how this, this, this pastor speaks against those things. And, oh, I don't like this feeling I get. No, that's carnal. That's carnal. I'm talking about you love the Lord, you fear the Lord. In you, the formula is right. You walk into a church and then all of a sudden you get the heebie-jeebies. That's the spirit of the Lord. Or sometimes you're in a fellowship where you don't have the heebie-jeebies. But in the course of time, all of a sudden you start to get the heebie-jeebies. You still love the Lord. You still fear the Lord. Remember, the formula is right in you. But then you start to get the heebie-jeebies like something's wrong here. That's the spirit. But sometimes you're in a fellowship. The formula is right in you. You look at the pews, the formula is right in them. And, you know, sometimes the formula is wrong and, you know, that's the pews. If it's the pews, you have to make this distinction. Okay, that's the pews. And maybe they're just like a, you're a a 20 year old rugby player and they're a four year old. And, you know, it's like, okay, that. I'm going to help this brother. I'm going to help this sister because I want to play rugby with them and we're going to grow and we're going to mature together. Meek shall inherit the earth. That's the pews. And then all of a sudden, the formula is right in the elders. The formula is right in the pastors. Male pastor teaches, prays, 
The formula is beautiful. And you feel, man, you love the Lord, you fear the Lord. And just like you felt the heebie jeebies before in over here, over there, over there. But in this particular place, it feels like home. That's powerful. You see? That's what you see in Philippians. You think Chloe felt at home in the Corinthian church? She was a member of, you know, I say member, but, you know, she was a member. But I, you know, I don't, when when churches have like membership forms, you know, it's like an application. I want to be a church member here. You got to fill out an application. I don't like that. You don't see, you know, applications being filled out in the Bible. The, the spirit of the Lord, the Lord cleans house. If you're a pastor and you, you know, you have like membership forms, you know, I've had these conversations with pastors. I need to know who I'm going to invest my time in. Where's the Lord? Let the Spirit guide you. Get a form. Take those forms and throw them in the trash. Talk about form. Where do you see a form in the Bible? Fill out a form. Oh, church membership. Church membership form. You got to put your name, name of your kids, where they employed, how much money they make, so that you know the, the treasurer can know what we can expect from you in the tithe, in the offerings and tithes. Fools. If you're a pastor and you have like membership forms, burn them. Get rid of them. Throw them in the trash. The Lord will establish church membership. It's holy. The, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to go into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And as the Lord does that, and yes, if you're a pastor, He'll do it through you. Through the word and through you as a vessel of the Lord as you teach the word. But the formula has to be right. If if the formula is wrong in you and you're teaching a false gospel, that ain't no spirit of the Lord. That's the spirit of Satan. You see? Step down. Step down. You are influenced by another spirit. But if the formula is right in you, the Spirit will establish membership. And you'll, <laughs> you'll be under attack. Don't expect the multitudes. <laughs> Do not expect the multitudes. I meant <laughs> just the opposite. But even still, behold the last days. <laughs> Look at this beautiful... Koinonia. How you see the safety in Philippi. And it's like home. I mean, for, for little Timmy, say he's eight years old, nine years old. Little Timmy. For his parents. And even his, his grandma. She, like she's on board. You know, sometimes parents do stupid things and it's, you know, it's, uh, the grandparents are saying, no, 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 don't, don't do that, don't do that. But everybody's on board, you know. Parents, grandma, everybody's on board. Little Timmy. Paul, take little Timmy. What? Who can you do that to today? If you're a parent, who can you do that to today? What pastor can you do that to? You see? Knowing the millstone. 
And yet little Timmy, say he's 10 years old. And 14 years from that moment in Acts 16, a pastor trained up in the bubble of Paul. Not like the average bear. Remember, he's not like the average bear. Oh, you deify Paul, you deify Paul. What are you talking about? He's dead. He's crucified. What are you talking about? It's Jesus inside of Paul. And for these saints in Philippi, this confidence that Paul has, which isn't off base, it is right for him to think this of the saints in Philippi, as is revealed in verse 7. And now this defense and confirmation of the gospel is still in at the end of verse 7. That you all are partakers with me of grace. You see? Home. It's like... It's beautiful. Spiritually speaking, it's like home. You love the Lord, you fear the Lord, you walk into the doors of the Philippians. It's like you've entered training ground, you've entered this the mat, you've entered entered the 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 training ground to be equipped. To be on to learn to be on defense, to learn to be on offense. We're submitting to the pastors, submitting to the teachers where it is safe. Because the formula is right in them, males. You see? It's a different church. Philippi isn't Corinth. Nor is it Galatia. Nor is it Ephesus. It is Philippi. In verse 8, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, which is to yearn and this intense craving that Paul has for the saints. How greatly I long for you, all, long for you all with the affection, which is the, like it's, it's, it translates as the intestines, but it's the depths inside the body. It also translates as tender mercies inside. How greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. You see? It's not to say that Paul doesn't love the Corinthian saints. He loves the Corinthian saints. He, it's not to say that he doesn't love the Galatian saints. He loves them. But when he writes to them, you know, like, look, my tears. I write to you with my tears. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Have I labored for you in vain? It's not that he doesn't that he hates those saints. He loves those saints. He, he'll die for those saints. He pours into those saints. But because of their disobedience, the Lord is correcting them using vessel Paul. Now, who yields to Paul? Who yields to Peter? Who yields to Jude? Who yields to James? Who yields to John? That's between a person and the Lord. And I, you know, these are just authors of letters in the Bible. But as vessels of the Lord, it's the Lord. They're dead. 
And that's what's so powerful about truth and how the Lord works. Because he uses these vessels all through the course of time. You know, we're 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. And we're still being blessed by these writings of Paul. Does that mean we deify Paul? We're still being blessed by these writings of Peter. Does that mean we deify Peter? No way. They're dead. I mean, even when they wrote them, they were dead. They're dead now in, in the flesh. But even when they wrote them, they were dead in the spirit. I mean, to the flesh. But alive in the spirit. Alive in Christ. It is Christ in them. You see? And the word became flesh. And this I pray in verse 9, that your love may abound still or super abound or overflow still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now you see, okay, Philippians you say is a model church and then all of a sudden that Paul is saying that he prays that they grow in knowledge and discernment. Yes. Why? Because remember, the threat is always there. The threat is always there. Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. In Galatians 2, turn to Galatians 2 really quick. And in Galatians 2, what do we see? We see in Galatians 2 verse 4, Paul says, he says, and this occurred because false brethren, Sudadelphos, remember? Pretenders. This occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty or freedom, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. False brethren. They presented themselves. Oh, I'm a brother in Christ. I'm a brother in Christ. But really, he was a servant of Satan. How many people would have lent ear to such people? How many saints would have lent ear to such people? Now, in the case of Galatia, a lot of saints. And unbeknownst to them, they were being led away into bondage, led away into slaughter. But in the case of Paul and his entourage, those in his bubble, such as Timothy and Titus in verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. Translates as even for, you know, like an instant. We didn't yield to them. But we didn't yield to them, not even for an instant, that the truth of the gospel might continue or remain with you. But from those who seem to be something, I love that so much. You ever listen to a guy teach and they, they think they're something? You listen to a guy teach, you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and you listen to a guy teach, you listen to a guy preach, and they think there's something. They like to give that that aura, if you will, of, you know, knowledge. They like to give that aura, if you will, of, oh, I'm an intellectual. Oh, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, I did this, I got my doctorate in theology. That's nice. That's nice. But let's look at the biblical formula and whether it applies to you. Pastor, how many saints would figure, okay, this guy, look, he's got a doctorate of theology on his wall. Therefore, I'm going to listen to what he says. Oh, look, he has this, you know, his degree in theology. Therefore, I'm going to listen to what he says. And I'm going to, but look, the Bible says I got to obey him. So I'm going to obey him. Well, what about if said teacher says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. 
What if said teacher says, go grave soaking? Soak up the spirit that is found in graves. What about if the teacher says God's promises is done with Israel and now it's to the church? So-called intellectuals who seem to be something. Oh, but I got my doctorate in theology. I got my, you know, the degree in theology and this. I went to seminary and this and that and bing, bing, boom. That's nice. In verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. I love Paul. That's nice. Who cares? They seem to be something. Who cares? That's nice. Look, he's got his doctrine in theology. That's nice. It makes no difference to me, whatever they were. God shows personal favoritism to no man, he says. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. Look at, look at Eli and Samuel. Carnally speaking, carnally speaking, in accordance to the flesh, you look at little Samuel. The two are standing right next to each other. You look at little Samuel, little, little Samuel. And then you look at high priest Eli. Kohanim. High priest Eli and little Samuel wearing the clothes that his mom made for him. There was no widespread revelation in those days, but who did the Lord speak to? Not the, not the high priest. You see, God is no respecter of person. Now, humans, carnally speaking, if little Samuel, if little Samuel, you know, gave, you, you have an issue. You, we get in our time machine. We have an issue. And we want it settled. We, 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 we need counsel. It would be better to go to Samuel than it would to go to Eli. Carnally speaking, that's foolishness. Carnally speaking, that is foolishness. But God never changes. And he is no respecter of persons. He sees little Samuel. That's my guy. Eli, I'm going to kill him. Samuel, I'm going to use him. You see? But carnally speaking, to listen to Samuel, to heed Samuel would be foolishness. Carnally speaking, to heed Eli would be good. Carnally speaking, that would be good. But wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because the formula isn't right. He never changes. His for I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, we we study the Old Testament, New Testament, and you know, God never changes. When the formula is right, you see beauty. When the formula is wrong, you see filth. When the formula is wrong, you see judgment. But there's something else to the equation. When the formula is right, you don't see judgment, but you do see persecution. See? People say, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. Well, if the formula is wrong, well, let me ask you something. I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. 
How so, brother? How so, sister? Look, this guy called me a jerk. This lady called me a jerk. And I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. And my little feelers are being hurt. Oh, how did it happen? Tell me the story. This, 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 this. Little bit of that, little bit of this. Bada bing, bada boom. What say you? Well, you were kind of being a jerk, my friend. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But you were kind of being a jerk. Because how you behaved in this manner was carnal. Oh, but it's persecution. It's persecution. Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. That ain't persecution. In fact, you know, you call this guy a jerk because you were, he said something to you. You call this lady a jerk because she said something to you. I agree with him. I agree with her. You know what's better? Let's get the formula right in you. And you go apologize to this person. Go apologize to this other guy, this other gal. Go up because you know you were a jerk. And then when you when you're done with that, go to the Lord and repent. Lord, forgive me. I blew it. You see? Shouldn't I repent first? Well, you know what's pleasing to the Lord? is when you come to him and you're already right with your brother, already right with your sister. You see? People say, oh, I'm being persecuted, I'm persecuted. That's not persecuted. And some kind, sometimes, sometimes it really is bona fide persecution. But when it's persecution, the formula must be right in the vessel. And that's the wrath of, not God, the wrath of Satan, who knows Okay, the formula is right in this vessel. Now I'm going to come against him. Now I'm going to come against her. And that's Satan's wrath. It's not God's wrath. It's Satan's wrath. See? That's spiritual warfare. There's other aspects of spiritual warfare, but that is one theater, one, one arena of warfare. And so we see this in verse... Uh, 9 and in going to Philippians 1 verse 9 and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and in all discernment remember the threat is always gonna be there always gonna be there the preacher guys are gonna Satan you know the formula is right in Philippi you think Satan doesn't see that absolutely he sees that you think he's not gonna want to throw a, a wrench in 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 Philippi Absolutely, he's going to want to throw a wrench. But where are the wolf killers? Verse 1. This episunagage is with the overseers and the deacons, the bishops and the teachers and the overseers, the pastors and the elders. These are wolf killers. You see? Spiritually speaking, I'm not saying, you know, go out and, you know, kill this false teacher according to the flesh. But these men, 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 coverings always male. Wolf killers. You see? Think of the pastors that are being raised from the church in Philippi. Whew. And you have pew Christians who are also wolf killers, you see? <laughs> future pastors, future elders, future overseers. 
the threat is always going to be there. It's like you look at the beginning of Corinth. Beautiful. You, re, you study the book of Acts. You see this, the, the, the birth of the church in Corinth. Beautiful. The, the birth of the church in Galatia. Beautiful. But in the course of time, Satan says, okay, formula is right over here. It's a week in. Okay. Now I'm going to send my servants to present themselves as ministers of righteousness. And I'm going to muddy the waters. And Satan was victorious in Corinth for a time. Chloe knew it was up. Tells Paul. Paul cleans house. The Lord cleans house through vessel Paul, through vessel Chloe. You see? Can you see this model, this formula of church? People say church, 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 and think it's a building. Oh, you know, don't come against the assembly of the saints. The Bible says don't forsake the assembly of the saints, but saints do enough of forsaking themselves. How dare you say that? Proof is in the pudding. Who is there who would shut the doors? Proof is in the pudding. But in Philippi? Different. Different. And so we see this in verse 10. In... uh. Uh, verse 10, that you may approve or examine and discern the things that are excellent or valuable, that you may be sincere or pure and genuine and without offense to be faultless. To be without offense, to be faultless and not led into sin and not leading into sin. You see, the formula is right. The saints of Philippi and in Philippi are beautiful, beautiful influencers. You see? Influencers. These are saints, male, female, young, old, who are not led into sin. The works of the flesh that you see in Corinth, the works of the flesh that you see in Galatia, non-existent in Philippi. In, in Philippi. Why? Beautiful teacher, warrior teachers. Not just warrior teachers, but warrior teachers who are teachers of warriors. This is beautiful episode. And the saints in Philippi, without offense, which is they're not led into sin themselves, but then at the same time, they're not leading into sin. You see? No hypocrisy. Saints who are, you know, hey, you know, don't go gambling, brother. Don't go gambling, sister. And they themselves are, you know, playing the slot machines. They go to another part of town so they can play the slot machines. They drive far, 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 far away. Why? So no one can see them. Oh, I'm going to be in town and I'll pretend I'm holy. But then I'm going to go far, 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 far away so I can be wicked. And nobody will know. But yet the eyes of the Lord, he sees. He sees it all. And he knows. And he judges. You see? These saints in Philippi, they're different. (laughs) Very different. People say, oh, the Bible's not written in, in order. You know, it's not written in chronological order. Absolutely true. The Bible's not written in chronological order. But there is an order according to the Spirit. 
There is an order according to the Spirit. You need eyes to see it. You need ears to hear it and see and behold and taste and see that the Lord is good. He says that you may be sincere in verse 10 and without offense till the day of Christ. Not not to the rapture, but to the day of Christ, to the end, to the very end. Being filled or crammed with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Remember verse 6, that Paul, he is confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he says, look, it's in, in verse 7, it's right for me to think this of you. Because the formula is right in you guys. And this letter is to the saints in Christ, who uh, Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, verse 1. With, which is soon. It's not just like the, the Swiss sandwich, Swiss cheese on rye. It's not just you get the rye with the, with, with the Swiss. With the, it's not that cheesy, no pun intended. It's not that cheesy with. It is a different with. It is soon, S-U-N. It's not E-N-N. It is soon, which is deep. Where we get the word episunagage. Intimacy, closeness, koinonia. Social intercourse, oneness. You see? He says in verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me... Now, this is heavy. This is heavy. Because, remember, what happened in... Acts, if you remember our study in Acts, you've been walking with us for a while, you know, and you might want to listen to these studies, and I encourage you to listen to our studies. But from Acts 21 to 28, you see Paul goes into Jerusalem and all the all the saints and even the apostles, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And where was the Spirit leading Paul? To Jerusalem. Where was the red letters with Paul? In Jerusalem, you see. Remember when we studied this in Acts 21 and 22 and you see Paul captured in Jerusalem and then he goes into, he goes, he's, he's captured and then he's imprisoned. Well, that happens 59 AD to 62 AD, right at the time when Paul is writing this letter to the saints in Philippi. Philippians, the book of Philippians, it's one of Paul's prison letters when he was captive. And so Paul is telling them in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, remember the shipwreck? Remember we studied that in Acts? Remember the shipwreck? All those, and he was captive then. I mean, he was shipwrecked because he was on a ship. He was a prisoner on ship. The things which happened to me have actually turned out, and how this translates in the Greek is, when he says, we study out of the New King James Version, but even still there's some faults between this and the original manuscripts and the original text. The original text. And he says, these things which happened to me have actually turned out. Now, it translates better as have turned out better. For the furtherance of the gospel. 
Because how this trans how the translators of New King James when they say have actually turned out, it's almost like actually is like you know like Paul's surprise, like you know like, oh well you know it, it actually turned out better. No, it Paul's walking by faith, not by sight. This translates better as have turned out better for the furtherance of the gospel. Now we remember our study in Acts 21 through 28, the Paul going into Jerusalem, very, very troublesome time and perilous time in Paul, how the spirit, and remember in how it, it, when we studied the book of Acts, how Paul revealed that all the exploits of Paul as a servant of the Lord, as a vessel of the Lord, how he goes into town, the persecution, the suffering, being you know left for dead and the beatings and all these things. But yet, meanwhile, how Paul reveals in later chapters, how he says the whole time the Spirit was revealing that I would be in chains and tribulations await him. Now, chains and tribulations awaited him. And Paul is explaining to the saints in Philippi, that it turned out better for the furtherance of the gospel. Now we see why in verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard or the praetorium and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Remember when the, when the, uh, the, the magistrates, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul in chains standing before them. Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul says, I wish you would be like me and even better than me. And then, you know, except for these chains. You see? This is so powerful. You know, when you read church history and you read about Roman soldiers who became Christians. You know, the Roman soldiers, they were very brutal to Christians. And in that brutality, <clears throat> some Roman soldiers became Christians. Like you look at Iran today. Iran is the most deadly country. As of eight months ago, I haven't looked at the latest, you know, data. But as of about eight months ago, Iran, the country of Iran, was the deadliest country for Christians. But it is also the most vibrant country per capita for people coming to Christ, Iran. Now you see what's... Spiritual warfare is not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And when you read about Roman soldiers, the brutality that was imposed on Christians, very brutal. And the thought of, I don't even like, we study it, we, we, we mention it from time to time, but it it's painful. It's painful to read, it's painful to study, it's painful to, to understand what the early, our early brothers and sisters, I don't like saying early church. I say early church, but I don't like early church because sometimes people think, oh, the early church. That was then, this is now. No, this is our family. This is our early brothers and sisters, young and old, old women, old men, young girls, young boys, and everybody in between suffered. But in that suffering, you read accounts historically 
of Roman soldiers coming to Christ. And you know what they did? They laid down their arms, the weapons of the flesh. But they were armed with the weapons of the spirit. You see? Heavy persecution even on Romans who defected away from Caesar and into Christ. Heavy persecution for them. Now you see, when Paul says, the, the, remember Acts 21? You remember? If you've been walking with us for a while. Those were painful. Painful because it's like a beautiful overseer is captured, imprisoned. Not, not to place emphasis on an overseer, but I mean, the persecution against the saints, it was intensifying. And yet for Paul to report to the saints in Philippi that it turned out better for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ, that, you know, put yourself in the Romans position. Okay, we captured Paul. Look, he's in our chains. But as he teaches, remember, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian, Paul says. I wish you would be, and even better than me, except for these chains. And they laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Wow, you're different. I know, I've know i known Christians before, but Paul, you're different. I've heard Christians speak before, but wow, Paul, you're different. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And then all of a sudden, what does Paul do? He appeals to Caesar. And everybody was amazed. Even the, 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 the magistrates, they, they were kind of like bummed out. Like, you know, we almost let him go. We almost let him go. But since he appeals to Caesar in accordance with Roman law, now we got to send him to Caesar. Do you remember our studies? And they're kind of bummed out. Like, we almost let him go. But then they're starting to see there's a different set of chains on this guy. There's a different set of chains on this guy. Just like verse 13 says, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest <clears throat> that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, in verse 14, having become confident by my chains, not confident in his chains, Confident by my chains. The brethren. The captors have one perspective of, okay, this guy has a different set of chains. But the saints, the brethren, brothers and sisters, seeing Paul in his chains, they become confident by his chains. Remember, people say all the time, look, we got our rights, we got our rights. Look, Paul used his rights, Paul used his rights. Yes, he used his rights. But in using his rights, it was not for his benefit, benefit nor advantage, but for that of the saints. For him, it cost him his life. You see? Saints today, Christians today, They fight according to the flesh with carnal weapons. 
But when you fight according to the spirit, it's a different ball game. And the saints, the brethren, in verse 14, having become confident by my chains, the saints are much more bold to speak the word, to speak the logos without fear. You see? It's to their advantage. It's for their benefit. Yes, Paul used his rights. People say, oh, Paul fought for his rights, so therefore I'm going to fight for my rights. Christians today fight for their rights. Stand up for their rights, for their own advantage, for their own benefit. Will you stand up for your rights when your head will be chopped off? Will you stand up for your rights when it puts a big spotlight on you and you get arrested? Will you stand up for your rights when it costs you a beatdown? You see, let's have some perspective, proper perspective. Biblical perspective, godly perspective, righteous perspective. Our ways are not God's ways. And God's ways are not our ways. Except when you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Remember Jesus, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But a friend knows. Say you and me, we're servants. Today is the first day on the job we're servants in the master's house. You cook, I clean, or vice versa. We don't know how a master likes it. I might vacuum under the table. I might vacuum under then. Move the little chair. move, And the master doesn't like that. We're servants and... But we don't know how he likes this. You make a beautiful meal. I like it, but the master doesn't like it. He likes it extra seasoning like this, and he likes it like this. We don't know. We're servants, but we don't know the master. Or we know the master, but we don't know what he's doing. We don't know his likes. We don't know his dislikes. I moved the chair over here. I cleaned, but I didn't know that he likes it over here. I didn't know that he likes the little ottoman over here. I rolled up the carpet and put it away because there's a nice, you know, hardwood floor there and I cleaned it up, polished it, and I, but I didn't know we're still servants, but I didn't know that he didn't like it because he likes his feet to be warm on the rug. So now I take the rug out and lay it back down and now his feet can be nice and warm because we're serving the master. You don't know, we don't, you, you, know, you don't know how he, how he likes his coffee. We're servants, but we just don't know. We know the master, but we don't know his likes nor his dislikes. But in the course of time, we learn. And then we know. You see? And Jesus, you know, when he refers to the disciples as servants. But in the course of time, he tells them, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But friends do. You don't have to ask. Because you know. Because of that intimacy. 
You see? So when Paul stood up for his rights, which cost him his freedom, his people stand up for their rights for freedom. But in the case of Paul, he stood up for his rights and it cost him his freedom. It cost him his life. But look at the saints in Philippi. They were much more bold to speak the word without fear, the logos without fear in verse 14. Remember, the Philippian saints are different. I bet you it's not captured in scripture, but I wonder. I shouldn't say I bet you, but I wonder. Just a little statement. I'm curious. I wonder if the first Corinthians chapter three bunch, the babies, the ones who were on milk, the milk drinkers. I wonder how they behaved or they would have behaved under increased threats against the church. Maybe maybe they would, because they walked according to the flesh, maybe they would have picked up weapons according to the flesh. Maybe, I just wonder. But you don't see that in Philippi, that's for sure. In verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, or this is uh, to, 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 like, to quarrel from jealousy. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. You know, a pastor across town has, you know, a thousand members in his church and another pastor has 500 in his church. And all of a sudden you see like, you know, there's envy going on among the pastors, which is carnal, which isn't good. Paul says some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. So we have two camps here. Christ is preached. But what are the motives behind it? One is out of jealousy and the other is from goodwill. You have two camps. In verse 16, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition. These are those who preach Christ from jealousy, from envy and strife in verse 15. But in verse 16, we see the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, which is intrigue and to provoke strife. And to have the appearance of persecution. I'll put it another way. People who desire to be influencers according to the flesh. You ever see social media? Social media where somebody will like have a picture of them praying. They'll, they'll take a selfie of them, but they're praying of themselves, but they're praying. They'll take a selfie of themselves with their Bible. They'll make a video, oh, look how awesome Christian I am, you know, and I'm, I'm giving this guy $10 on the street. I'm giving this guy, a, you know, a, a hamburger, you know, he's on the street and I bought him a hamburger and look, look what I'm doing. You see, like, you know, the clothes, you know, hair and makeup is done and you're like, oh, look, look what I'm doing. I'm so holy. It's carnal. Selfish ambition. They want the likes. They want the likes on social media. Oh, I got the likes. Likes everything for the gram. It's all for the gram. Where is service unto the Lord? 
The former preach Christ from selfish ambition in verse 16. Not sincerely, there's no purity behind it. Supposing to add affliction to my chains. Now this is another, in the Greek, better translated as, you know where it says supposing to add affliction to my chain? Translates as to bear affliction of my chains or from my chains. It's all for show. Oh, Paul, you know, think of the saints. Oh, Paul's captured. Paul's in prison. Paul's captured over here. And everybody's like, oh, you know, like praying for Paul. Our overseer, you know, he's in trouble. Let's pray for him. But then you have these other pastors with selfish ambitions. Oh, look, I'm persecuted too. Paul's persecuted and he's in prison. And oh, look, the people are talking about him, praying for him. Oh, look. I want to have likes on social media too. So look, I'm, I'm just like Paul. Look, I'm persecuted too. Look at my selfie. Look how sad I am. And people like, you know, okay. But they don't understand that it's selfish ambition. The Lord knows. Friends of the Lord know. Servants might know. Baby Christians definitely don't know. They can be swayed. They can be seduced. And remember, the enemy roams around like a lion waiting for for whom he may devour. You see, the threats are always there. Satan uses selfish ambition. It's a foothold. You see, that's not to say that This is a threat today, but it can be a threat. Which is why denial of self is so beautiful. Because in denial of self, all of a sudden, no foothold for Satan. See? It's beautiful. Paul speaks of the former in verse 16, those who speak preach Christ from envy and strife. But in verse 17, the latter, those from goodwill. In verse 16, the, 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 from goodwill. But in verse 17, the latter out of love. Remember, the formula is right in such people. The formula is right. And when the formula is right, and you have a pastor, you have a teacher like this, these These are the ones you want to find. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. These things must happen. Because when the formula is right, the Lord knows it. But so does Satan. And Satan not just wants to stop these things. He wants to kill these vessels. And he's successful to that end. Not to give him any credit. But he is successful. When you study church history and you see the persecution of the saints, if you look at it from the flesh, you're not going to see victory in Christ. You'd be like, oh my goodness, how this Christian was killed and this Christian was killed and 
This pastor was killed and this church was burned down and this and that. If you read church history according to the flesh, you won't see it. In fact, you'll get mad. Because you're like, why aren't they Why aren't they going to arms? Why don't they pick up their swords? Or why don't they pick up their weapons and fight and fight and fight? When I was a young believer, lukewarm, I was so mad, so, so mad at Stephen and the saints around him. I thought Stephen was the weakest, weakest, weakest ever. I don't think that anymore. I have repented of that error of mine in my state of lukewarmness. Today, I see Stephen as amongst the most mighty, valiant of warriors. Because he fought according to the Spirit. You see? When you read church history, the persecution of the saints, but you see it in the Spirit, you see victory. Thus fulfills what the Bible teaches. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? But it must be in the Spirit. The carnal cannot comprehend these things. What then in verse 18? What then? Question mark. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Now, this pretense is out of showing, you know, the influencers, people who desire to be influencers according to the flesh, people who preach Christ out of envy and strife, out of selfish ambition, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Now, it begs the question, is Paul excusing? Is Paul making excuse for preaching Christ from envy and strife? No way. No way. But falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus leads to and in truth. I'll give you an example. The first Bible I read was a comic book Bible. Well, I mean, in entirety. I I read passages of the Bible from the NIV when I was a brand new believer. But the first Bible I read cover to cover was a comic book Bible. You see, I don't read comic book Bibles anymore. As a young believer, I would listen to a preacher and fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Not as a result of you know, what was being taught, but as a result of the Lord, you know, to listen to a preacher, you know, go on, if you're there in person, you go home and then you pick up the Bible and you study the Bible and you read the Bible or even on TV, you turn on TV, okay, turn off. I'm not advocating. I'm not making any excuse or any like, you know, green light advocating, do this, do this, do this. But as a person falls deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. You're going to study the scriptures. You're going to read. And in the course of time, you're going to become a Berean. And when you become a Berean, you're going to listen to a preacher and be like, wait a second. That's wrong. 
wait a second, this is wrong. I used to like this guy. But now that I've fallen in love with the Lord and I study the Bible, this guy is dangerous. Oh my goodness, he's, he's teaching out of jealousy and selfish ambition where you didn't know that before. But now you know that. You see? I mean, look at the, the teachers and the pastors and the elders in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at them. I mean, not much is said of them, but as a result of the fruit in Corinth, you can see that these guys were defunct. Defunct pastors, defunct elders in Corinth. You see the fruit. But you also don't see Paul writing a letter to the saints in Corinth by saying, like he says in Philippians 1, the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons or the overseers and teachers with the pastors and elders. And not just with, like the Swiss sandwich, with that is deeper soon where we get the word episunagage. You don't see Paul saying that of the elders and pastors in Corinth. You see? And that's what's so powerful about this because with the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord, you, God's word is God's word is more powerful than any, more sharper than any two-edged sword. And then all of a sudden, you listen to a guy, you listen to teaching, and then all of a sudden you fall deeper in love with the Lord. You become a Berean, you become more mature. And then you're like, wait a second. I can't listen to this guy anymore. Why? Because now he says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Now he says, God is done with Israel. Now he says, let's go grave soaking. I can't listen to, before I didn't know because I was a baby. But now as I love the Lord and fear the Lord, now I have matured. Not to take any credit or get in a high horse, but to understand that the Lord has given knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You see? And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Trusting in the Lord. Remember? Like he said in verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. See? The formula is right in Philippi. The Philippian saints as influencers. The defunct teachers of Corinth, not influencers. Chloe, influencer. You see, the formula's right. And that's what's so powerful about the truth of Scripture. Because the Lord says himself, seek and you will find. He knows who the seekers are. Seek and you will find. If you come to the Bible, you know, sometimes people like in marriage, People come to the Bible, oh, you know, look, my wife has to submit to me and she's not submitting to me and all these things. And that's not seeking the Lord. That's seeking your will. Or you talk to people who are going through some kind of dispute, sometimes in marriage, sometimes in just relationships. Oh, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say? About it? You're not seeking the Lord. You're seeking your will for your life. The Lord knows this. 
The Lord and the Spirit knows. Remember the Spirit bypassed Simon in our study in the book of Acts? He knows. But the Lord also knows the one who seeks him. Not their own will, but the will for, of the Lord for their lives. The Lord knows. And in these vessels, the Lord works. You see? And so we see this in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, remember, koinonia, unity, one body, ten burners, the vessels, everything's beautiful. The formula's right in all pots. You see? Paul is speaking about his own deliverance through the prayers of the saints in Philippi. And the Lord responding to their prayers with the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see? One body. The body taking care of the body. You get a cut on your finger. You see the blood. And you know, put a band-aid and you take the band-aid off and you see, okay, it's scabbed over. And in like three weeks, it's gone because it's healed. Microscopically, you got the red blood cells, the white blood cells, the white blood cells clean everything. They, you know, all those things, the red blood cells, they get, you know, coagulate, get hard, scab over. Oh, they all have their function. The body caring for the body, but the same in Christ. Paul's in trouble. Let's go to our knees. Paul's arrested. Let's go to our knees. You see? Paul's Paul's facing persecution. Let's go to our knees before the Lord. You see? It's not, okay, this guy's being persecuted because, um, you know, he got in a fight at the bar and he lost the fight and, you know, he's being persecuted now. He's arrested. Well, he's rightfully arrested. He shouldn't have been in the bar. Oh, this guy, he got, you know, shot in the shoulder. Why? Because he was buying drugs and it went awry and all these things. He shouldn't have been doing that. That's not persecution. You see? I mean, I give these carnal examples, but we have to make these distinctions. And you see the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that is that that in nothing I shall be ashamed. In nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness. Now this is this isn't soon with but with 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 this isn't soon like it is in verse one. Or verse one. It's N-E-N, the most common form of with in the Bible or in the New Testament. That's not that intimacy. This is a different with, N-E-N in the Greek. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I love this. Whether by life or death, Christ is magnified. Who, Who can... Whose life exemplifies this today? The guy's alive. The gal's alive. Old, 
young, male, female, it doesn't matter. A person is alive. And when they live, Christ is magnified. And when they die, Christ is magnified. What vessel? Where are these vessels? And Paul speaking of his own opinion. For to me, in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whoa. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Whoa. Remember, Paul says of himself, remember our study through 1 Corinthians, we're the scum of the world. We're the scum of the earth. You, saints, you guys are like kings. Us, the workers, you're the field. But us, the workers, we're the scum of the earth. We're trash. It's almost like there's a death wish. But it's just the opposite. It's that Christ be magnified. Whether in life, Christ be magnified. Whether in death, Christ be magnified. In verse 22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell. <laughs> I cannot declare. I love this. Because you have this beautiful fellowship. The formula is right. The ten burners. The ten pots. The formula is right in all pots. Everything's beautiful. You have overseer Paul. You have overseers, the pastors and teachers. You have the beautiful pews. You have, you know, warriors. You have beautiful. Wolves come, wolves die. Spiritually speaking. And then... Imagine Paul, you know, coming on scene. Hey, everybody, I wish I was dead. I mean, you have to be really dead to understand that. But Paul doesn't want to hurt anybody. If I live on my flesh, verse 22, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I choose... I cannot tell. I cannot declare what I choose. It almost begs the question like, does Paul not mind the prison? Does Paul not mind the sword? In either instance, he's fearless. He fears the Lord. But he's fearless and bold. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what I choose I cannot tell, he says in verse 22 and verse 23. For I am hard pressed between the two. Remember, life or death. I am hard pressed between the two. Do I live? Do I die? I am hard pressed between the two. What do I desire more? I cannot tell. But I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire, a longness or to lust after. Now, this word is commonly used in the carnal sense, but in a spiritual sense, I have this strong desire to depart and be better and, and, and be with Christ, which is far better. See? Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. See? Just as he uses his rights 
which cost him his freedom and ultimately his life for the betterment and advantage, not for him, but for the saints. His desire to remain in the flesh, also sacrificially. It's not for him. It's for the beautiful saints. You see? Look at the formula. In Corinth. Look at the formula. The saints in Corinth, praise the Lord that there was Chloe. Praise the Lord that there was those in the household of Chloe. Praise the Lord that they could go to their covering, their male covering, which was Paul, to clean house. There's the, remember, I, you know, if you remember our study in 1 Corinthians, I have the love-hate relationship. No disrespect to the Lord. I love the saints, but it's like, wow, you know. The defunct pastors came at a heavy price, a heavy cost. And yet for Paul to remain in the flesh is more needful for the saints. Because look at how he pours. Look at how he pours into them. Look at how he teaches them. Look at this bubble that Paul has. And you have little little Timmy, which has been walking, he's been walking with Paul for 13 years. And a year after this letter was written to Philippi, Paul writes 1 Timothy. Little Timmy is now Pastor Timmy. You see? Same with Titus in the bubble of Paul, the entourage. And several years after that, Paul's killed. The next generation, not just of righteousness, of pastoral leadership. In accordance to the word of God. In verse 25, in closing, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy of faith. You see, that they grow and mature. It's, the, the Philippian saints, you figure, wow, 13 years they've been maturing. Are they done? No. For your progress, your furtherance, your advancement. As you move deeper in your relationship with the Lord, but your maturity and adulthood and your completeness in Christ. And the joy of faith. The joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. You see, family. Koinonia. Ecclesia, episunagage, spiritual family, not according to the flesh. According to the flesh, as we get further in the last days, as Jesus says, as the Spirit says through the vessels, Paul and Peter, biological family could be and very likely will be very dangerous. Spiritual family? Different ballgame. You see? That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your, uh, let your behavior and conversation be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see? 
when a person, when a Christian, when a saint, when you, when me, when we reckon the old man dead, when we reckon the old woman dead, you know what that means? That old nature is no longer living. That old nature is dead. 1 Corinthians 3, for the for 100% of those Christians to say, I am crucified with Christ, it doesn't fit. As, as a congregation, as one, it doesn't fit. Because the formula is not right. I don't say shame on the Christians, I say shame on the pastors. Shame on the elders of Corinth. But in Philippi, a large majority, if not all, 100% could say, I am crucified with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. Why? Formula is right. Episunagage with the pastors, with the teachers. Submit to them because it is safe. You see? And not to say that they were like perfect because they're continuing to progress in the furtherance and advancement to move on to perfection and completeness as evidence in verse 25. But in verse 27, a little warning that your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because remember, the threat is always there. Satan is always wanting to throw a wrench in where God is working. When the formula is right, Satan is always wanting to change the formula through the flesh. He seduces through the flesh. Appealing to the flesh. And through the flesh, saints, believers get into trouble. Through the flesh, saints, believers fall away. Which is going to increase in the last days. The great falling away. A defection away from truth. And yet the word is clear. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, a military term to hold your position, to be immovable in one spirit. Notice oneness. Oneness among the ecclesia. The episunagage. One spirit with one mind. You see? Unity. Not unity with the mother of harlots. Not unity with the whorish daughters of the mother of harlots. But unity with Christ, whose word is above his name. Striving together. Striving together. The word soon is here. It's soon atheo. Soon at Leo, you, you get the, 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 the intimacy, the oneness, but then at Leo is like an athlete where we get the word athlete from. It's to contest and strive and fight. You see, spiritual warfare. You see individual warriors, but then in spiritual warfare, when warfare, when the formula is right, as in the case of Philippi, you see, a company of warriors, a platoon of warriors, a battalion of warriors striving together, he says in verse 27, for the faith of the gospel. You see? 
and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, you see? Not in any way terrified of your adversaries. So what is the response? Do we flee? Do we flee? Being terrified of adversaries? When the formula is right, Paul says of the saints in Philippi, don't be terrified of them. Engage. Engage. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Don't be terrified of the adversaries. Now remember, the cost of being a Christian is heavy. And it's getting heavier and heavier. In this particular moment, I mean, when you study Acts in chronological order, I mean, the book of Acts covers a big time frame, 40 plus years, a big time frame. And when you look at Acts in like, you know, the birth of church over here, the birth of church over here, the birth of church over here. And then you look at the letters that were written, like where, you know, we see 13 years of maturing in Christ in the case of Philippi, three years of staying a baby in Corinth, which wasn't good. But then at the same time, geopolitically, what's happening to Christians, the cost of being a Christian is getting heavier and heavier. It's like life and death. And Paul is saying in verse 28, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. Look at the proofs here. When the cost of being a Christian is high, when the persecutors come, the adversaries come, to them it's proof of their perdition, of their damnation. But to you, proof of salvation. You see? And that from God. You see how powerful that is? The last days are, are going to be like any other time in world history. Persecution, the Antichrist, is going to come and kill Jews, and he's going to kill Christians. That's what is prophesied to happen. And the Lord will provide a means of safety. In the spirit, absolutely, the only safety is in Jesus Christ. But the safety according to the flesh, very, very narrow road. Very narrow road. And when you see passages like this, safety according to the flesh is not important. There is safety according to the flesh. Look at how the Lord is going to provide a way for Jews to flee the forces of Antichrist. But then at the same time, when the focus of the Antichrist is going to come against Christians. 
And it's given to Satan, it's given to the Antichrist to prevail against the saints. There will be death. Remember these verses. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. You see? He says, for to you, it has been granted. This is as favor, like God's favor. To you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, which is a good thing, to believe in Jesus Christ. Beautiful, praise be to the Lord. But this favor of the Lord also includes, it is written here, but also to suffer for his sake. Whoa. A lot of Christians... They think that God's favor is carnal. And in some cases, there can be favor in accordance to the ways of the flesh, in accordance to the the world. It can be. But the majority of time, it isn't. God's favor. Look at verse 29. For to you it has been granted. This is as favor, God's favor. It has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer. Suffering can be seen as God's favor. You see? We've got to have perspective here and proper perspective, biblical perspective. Yes. Remember Peter? When he was beaten and he rejoiced. Who rejoices in a beatdown? Who rejoices? And Peter and those with him rejoiced because they were worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. That requires a new mind. The carnal cannot comprehend these things. Only the crucified can understand. Now you see, there's the dangers of the defunct pastors, the defunct elders when the formula is wrong with them. Look at the cost it was to Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It came at a very heavy cost. But in the last days, in the last days, being under the tutelage of the defunct, is not only dangerous, but deadly. People have this perspective. Oh, God's favor. Look, I won the lottery. God's favor. Look, I got a a brand new shiny car. Look, God's favor. I'm over here. Look, God's favor. I'm over there. Look, God's favor. You know, this, that. But who in the world sees God's favor as suffering? For his sake. I'll tell you. People who are not of this world. People who understand we're just passing through. We're on our way to paradise. The second generation. Not according to Adam. But according to Christ. You see? Just like we read in the Old Testament. The second generation enters the promised land. So shall this according to the Spirit. That's you and me abiding in 
Christ. God's favor includes suffering. But who has eyes to see, who has ears to hear? Having the same conflict in verse 30, the same fight which you saw in me. Remember, in proper perspective. Don't forget Paul was in jail. Remember the Philippian jail? The jailer? Listen to our study in Acts 16. And Paul is saying to the saints, having the same conflict which you saw in me. Acts 16, he was in jail. Oh, Paul used his rights to, you know, he stood up to the jailer, he stood up to this, and he used his rights. You think the Philippians could do that? Paul could do that because he was a Roman. But do you think the Philippian saints could do that? The ones who were not Roman? No way. They couldn't do that at all. But then you see in verse 14, the saints who have become confident by his chains are much more bold to speak the logos without fear. You see? His standing up for his rights. Not for his freedom, but for the freedom of the saints. And not saints according to the flesh. Saints according to the spirit. Because to be a saint in Philippi came at a heavy cost. A model church, beautiful, beautiful saints in which the formula is right. To whom it has been granted God's favor on behalf of Christ. God's favor to suffer for his sake. You see? Verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul's in jail. Paul was in jail in Acts 16. Paul writes this letter and he's in jail again. You see? And the saints are partaking in this suffering as well because they are also being arrested. You know what you won't see in Philippians? Stand up for your rights. Stand up for your rights. You will not see that. You know what you will see? Deny your rights. I speak to the living. That's very abrasive. Very abrasive to many listeners. Deny rights? What? But I speak to the remnant of the last days. You see? We have to have this perspective. Because as the world, as the the church age comes to a close and the world shifts to the events of the end, We must have this understanding. Perilous times aren't coming. Perilous times are here. And we continue to study. To gain this understanding, which is a gift of the Spirit. And how the Lord will use us 
a people of the way in the last days to rely on him complete and total reliance on the lordship of jesus christ our returning king trusting in him not my will not your will but that of our lord our father in heaven hallowed be his name to the people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.